and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. pretty spunky, isn't it? Welcome hello, to this hello. edition of the Hagman Report. Uh, it is Monday. Uh, President's Day. That's right. President's Day. So, uh, wow. A little spunk. A little, little different, isn't it? Even even surprised us. Surprised us here at the Hagman Report. Welcome to the Hagman Report. Uh, broadcast 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on the Global Star Radio Network. That's where you can find our video and audio feed. Go to HagmanReport.com and, of course, Blog Talk Radio as well. A lot of stuff to get into. Joe, welcome. It's uh, great to be here. I want to know why we don't have federal holidays off. Well, because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I know the uh, schedule was already put together today, so I, I couldn't call. We couldn't call off the show. Well, yeah, I but, know. You know. Thanks for closed. Yeah, and, everything was closed. Everything gets shut down, doesn't it? It's it's a little bit different, uh, of course. Yeah, but no, a lot of news to get into. Of course, uh, still reeling from last week's uh, shooting, school shooting news. There, uh, the uh, the debate about what caused that, and of course the federal indictments. Now, I was I, I did not do a show today. I was off today. Uh, welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm back for the evening show. We'll be back in full schedule tomorrow. Um, so yeah, where, where should we start? Uh, we're looking at well, a number of the, different issues here. The school shooting. I, I want to touch on this article that came out of Yahoo News today. Yep. Trump focus on mental health after school shooting is denounced. And this article, uh, we're just going to read a little bit of this. Frustration is mounting in the medical community as the Trump administration again points to mental illness in response to yet another mass shooting. The concept that mental illness is a precursor to violent behavior is nonsense, according to a doctor of Chicago's Rush University Medical College, who says the vast majority of gun violence is not attributable to mental illness. We know this Nicholas Cruz, the shooter charged with killing 17 people, has been described as a loner with troubling behavior, but also has been described with some sort of mental impairment that he was taking medicine for. And I just think it's very disingenuous for Yahoo News and for other mental health professionals to try to turn this around and attack Donald Trump and attacking the notion that mental health plays a role in these mass shootings. It's obvious that that this does play a role. From James Holmes, the uh, shooter of the Colorado Theater, who is diagnosed with schizophrenia, to the guy who shot up the Fort Lauderdale airport that was hearing voices, to this person, it's obvious that there are uh, mental illnesses that play a part in the people who pull off these kind of shootings. I think that's undeniable. And I think another thing that's undeniable is the medications, the SSRI drugs that are involved in treating a lot of these illnesses. And for them to attack guns um, out in full force, I don't know how many people saw Chuck Todd and Meet the Press, you know, NBC over the weekend on the Sunday morning shows, calling for a ban of the Second Amendment, completely abolishing it from the Constitution. But they don't and won't, you know, revisit the issues like mental health, like the failures of the federal law enforcement agencies who 
were notified multiple times of this individual and uh, the history there. Apparently, he fell through all the cracks. The school, the local law enforcement, the federal law enforcement. Yeah, well, you know, you, you could, look, mental health is certainly one issue, and I agree with that. Uh, and I certainly think that mental health is behind that. The Conservative Trio said an interesting article about uh, Broward County schools and how Broward's gone. Broward County in Florida, their schools intentionally created policies from 2010 through uh, 2016 that culminated with this shooting, in some some might say. Some is this the, the, the uh, changing the protocols for disciplining right. Well, right. students and, and uh, getting rid of zero-tolerance policies and other yep. um, lax yep. discipline standards for students who were minorities or... Um, I, I'm not sure the there was what is being described as an alarming set of policies being enacted in Miami-Dade and Broward County, Florida. Now, these policies are called diversionary programs, where essentially about stopping high school students from being arrested. And, and this is an interesting article. If you haven't seen it, it's at the Conservative Treehouse. Law enforcement was instructed to avoid arrests and defer criminal conduct to school administration. Now, that's more or less saying, well, we're not going to arrest you for violations or have you arrested or contact the police. It, students who engaged in violence and, and uh, uh, drug sales, robberies and such, burglaries, theft, and other various crimes were intentionally, and, and think about this, they were intentionally kept out of the criminal justice system. And it was, everything was done administratively within the school. County administrators and school superintendents told law enforcement, um, local and county, I'm sorry, uh, law enforcement officials to stop arresting students. And this was under Obama. Now, just kind of think about this. In 2013, Broward, the, na- uh, the nation's seventh largest school district, uh, had the highest number of school-related arrests in Florida in the 2011 through 2012 school year. Now, okay. Uh, now that's according to, to the data of the department or the uh, of Florida State. Now, 71% of the 1,072 arrests that were made or 1,062 arrests that were made were for misdemeanor offenses. Now, unfortunately, the school board mandated policies. Uh, these came into conflict with law in the system of justice. All right. You can't you can't say well stop arresting these these kids for uh, violence or drug offenses, but that's exactly what happened. And what happened was um uh, the over, over time the this culminated in uh, police officers falsifying documents, hiding criminal activity, lying on official police reports, and even uh, hiding stolen merchandise. Police retreat from high school students. Now the just let that sink in for a moment. That's what uh, that's what Broward County did. Uh, the school administration, and this was, and I, look, I realize that that state schools are held under uh, or fall under the county, and then the state, local county, state. I get that, but when you look at uh, when you look at the uh, uh, environment under which these offenses occurred, and the uh, uh, push and pull of the law, it was, uh, uh, there were some FOIA FOIA requests made to Miami-Dade Police Department, which revealed uh, that secret discipline and diversionary program. So everybody was kept out of the uh, law enforcement system. Now, some might say, well, that's good because you don't want to throw somebody in the law enforcement system. Uh, So, and, and that Trayvon Martin, think Trayvon Martin, okay, 
that's he was part of that granted uh to avoid uh, granted into that system to avoid criminal arrest or, or avoid a criminal record the school board and uh the uh uh well the, the various agencies down there attempted to keep hiding various issues of this with these problems and again the conservative treehouse that they write that uh they delayed responses and ch- uh, charged uh, thousands of for FOIA information uh but they kept going of course specifically Trayvon Martin his criminal conduct was hidden behind school discipline records stolen jewelry was recorded as random found items this is just some examples here the jewelry was intentionally placed in storage with no investigation Trayvon's possession of marijuana for example was was obfuscated uh, so in order to try yeah, to all of this uh so what what is this this is I mean, what's the reason of doing this? I don't see the, uh, okay, maybe you have a, a one-off policy where you get in trouble once and you, you maybe let that slide if the conduct has changed, but to just continue to let offenses go without any kind of discipline or it seems to go against the best interest of the child as well, really, not just you the statistics or, or the community. But, you know, if the child continues to go unchecked and there's no consequences for their actions, they're going to continue to commit those uh, those actions that are getting them in trouble because they're not afraid of consequences if it keeps getting swept under the rug. Well, right. Now, but, but I, I want to I make sure people understand this. This whole this pattern of behavior, uh, this whole pattern of discipline, this whole pattern of, well, we're not going to toss this into the law enforcement system was really propelled through, uh, through the White House, through Obama's executive order, uh, establishing White House initiative on educational excellence. You had, uh, people like Jesse Jackson supporting, uh, this education policy. You had, um, uh, others as well, but, uh, but Broward County went a step further. They stopped arresting students and then changed the policy of suspension. So how's that? Yeah. And, and, okay. So the Broward County, their collaborative, uh, agreement on school discipline was announced in early November. Instead of suspensions, what student would happen? The students were being referred to the promise program where they received counseling for their, their various, uh, right, law, right. law, you know. And think about this with all the, uh, <laughs> lack of discipline that is ongoing in these schools. This kid still managed to get himself expelled. So what does that yeah. tell you about his behavior and, you know, indicators and warnings of uh, potential violence? But what really gets me is uh, what many people have been saying, including the Florida Governor Rick Scott. Is the FBI responsible for this failure uh, to act? There are a number of things that could have been done, and it seems that nothing was done, and many people are uh, really fed up with the FBI as we've seen the you know leadership there really go out on a limb trying to undermine president trump and get him to uh, you know go under investigation and also trying to to paint him in, in an election collusion with russia meanwhile these well, things are going I, I, overlooked yeah, and that's the talking that's... point but it's, it needs to be said because the fbi is and has lost so much credibility with the american people even though this is not connected to president trump it's the the American people uh, are going to remember this, and they're not going to trust the FBI. I don't think the people really trust the FBI anymore, and that is a problem for the FBI and for the government. True, true. I, I totally agree with that. 
All right. So we'll keep your eye on the Parkland shooting, and we're going to be talking about that later in the program. We're going to have Jim Hoft with us. We're also going to have uh, 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 Peter Chuck, of course, in hour number three, and then after Jim Hoft is going to be uh, Jim uh, Bolima. Bolima. Yes. I'm sorry. Bolima. It's going to be a great show. What am I saying? The, um, that yeah. Black Panther movie is, is uh, making a lot of headlines. And it's getting, uh, it's like the social justice movie, apparently. I, I don't know. I haven't seen previews for it. I haven't really paid attention to it. Yeah, I heard about re- that. But I just want to say this. They're reporting from the Hollywood Reporter saying, Black Panther is the top grossing film in history at 80 theaters. Now, in its opening weekend, it has taken in $218 million. So I went and I looked at the biggest worldwide openings just since 2002, and they wouldn't even be in the top 50. So why is this getting all this hype? Like it's it's smashing these records. Oh, yeah, kind of who cares? Is, is yeah, it, uh, that, that's I just know. a PR kind of a PR stunt. It is, but it bothers me with the deceptive statistics. If you were to yeah, put sure. it in the since 2002, it would not even make the top 50 of the biggest weekend openings since 2002. Do they glorify the? Black, I mean, what was the what no, was the intent behind that? I, I don't know. I'm just hearing. You know, it's. A lot of people are, are putting a lot into this movie. They're they're saying, oh, it's a because it's a black superhero and all this. Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. movies before. Yeah. I, I I don't know what the big selling point with this is. With this movie is, I like I said, I have not even seen previews. But um, just that headline I opened up, I went and did did a little digging myself, and the numbers seem skewed. Top yeah. grossing film in history at dozens. So of it's a black, it's a black superhero kind of thing. Right. That's what right. we're looking at. Right. Not the first well, one. It won't be the last, but they're yeah. playing it like it's the first one for whatever reason. Well, uh, while that, while you're watching movies or while people are watching movies, it, last Friday, of course, the, uh, the indictment of 13 Russians, three entities, and after 16 months of investigation, uh, and over, uh, 18, uh, I'm sorry, 16 months of investigation, year and a half, um, of the FBI and Obama administration spying on President uh, and previously candidate and previously private citizen Donald Trump, his family, his business, his campaign, the people around him, his transition team, his administration, the special counsel Robert Mueller, he last week dropped this absolute uh, pile of crap. Yeah, uh, what is this? Did you read the indictment? Yeah, I did. 30, 37 I did pages, yeah. And really, if you read the indictment, you can match actually match up the indictment up with previous um uh open source headline news articles and that it's that bad and i was going to talk about it uh except i didn't have a show this morning but but it's that bad the open source news news items essentially it is a collective in the gateway pundit uh or uh yeah gateway pundit jim hoff's going to be on he uh he he recalls this uh uh specifically in fact wrote about this specifically uh dated yesterday February 18th, 2018, says the same thing. After 16 months, months of investigation, year and a half of FBI of uh, and Obama spying on Donald Trump, his family, his business, and so on. It, it, this is this is there's nothing there, uh, except for charges against Russian operatives who sullied the U.S. election process during the 2016 election, and um, and, and hence, and following Donald Trump's victory. But here's the, here's the thing. Look, the Russians have been engaged in active measures forever. Active measures, of course, being uh, uh, an extension of Soviet, now Russian, propaganda and, and, uh, uh spying. Well, so, 
what do we have here at the end of the day with Robert Mueller? You've got 13 Russian operatives from the Internet Research Center, LLC, in St. Petersburg, who attempted to interfere with the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And if you read the indictment, and it's, in fact, uh, Jim Hoff does a great job, great job of excerpting the indictment. Uh, Defendant Internet Research Agency, LLC, an organization, a Russian organization, engaged in operations to interfere with elections and political processes. That's what it says. And, of course, the names of the 13 individual all-Russian citizens. Where is the collusion with Donald Trump? There is none. Wouldn't you think that this report would state so? And, by the way, those who think Mueller is, again, I have a problem with people He's thinking. Done. No, I got a problem. Well, that too, but I got a problem thinking that Mueller's on the side of, uh, on the side of good. Look, Mueller, okay, the indictment itself, and you can find it. It's on the internet. In fact, it's posted by, uh, no, it was uploaded by CNBC, last link to the Gateway Pundit, but, Look, Mueller is still continuing to harass and to to work for, I believe, the black hats in the you know uh, of the Department of Justice and the, and the uh, people of the deep state. But there's a great on. article I posted up on Hagman Report, and it is from LawandCrime.com, and it just puts this theory out there. It, looking at the Mueller indictment, it says, "Does the Mueller indictment mean Clinton campaign can be indicted for Chris Steele?" And it goes through four or five examples, but they basically all are the same, making the case for each entity. One is Fusion GPS, one is Perkins Coy, one is Christopher Steele, one's the DNC. Oh, I was told over this. the weekend it's Perkins Coy. Yeah, I don't know why, because <laughs> I, I always call it Perkins Coy, but now I just well, don't it know it's Perkins with, with all these entities, <clears throat> the fact that uh, Robert Mueller is trying to indict 13 Russian trolls claiming their social media yep. political activity yep. was criminal because they were foreign citizens, and tried to influence an election. What so do you think they, they do? Of course they're going to Christopher try to Steele, do that. a foreign citizen, tried to influence an election and also repeat, received payment from the Hillary Clinton campaign and the FBI itself to do so. And then that, uh, this line of thinking goes on to say that it's not only Christopher Steele, but Fusion GPS, the DNC, Perkins Coy, and even the Hillary Clinton campaign could all be guilty under what Robert Mueller indicted these Russians for because of the foreign ties to uh, Christopher Steele, because right. of um, the information that was gathered. Not only was it opposition research, but it was in an attempt to influence a uh, an election. And the same set of standards apply to Christopher Steele and this Trump dossier, as do the 13 Russians who are in trouble for creating social media accounts to try to influence voters. So, <clears throat> does that mean we'll see Christopher Steele prosecuted? I, I don't know. Again, where's Jeff Sessions? We don't see... Well, okay, you you have Steele on one side, of course, being being the operative for Hillary Clinton, DNC, the FBI, the DOJ, a good friend to everyone, and, and everyone in, in between, except for, of course, Donald Trump, who he obviously detested. But, but Steele and the Russian angle, not as perhaps as important as Mike Flynn. We see now... Where Mike Cernovich, I don't know how many people uh, saw this over the weekend. This is about the judge who is. Um, uh, remember, I remember I said if you've listened to my morning program, remember I said remember Judge Rudy Contreras. Remember that I've been saying that forever. And who recused himself, Contreras? But 
The so, cave. Uh, Sullivan, I think is his name. But, well, the, okay, the, there was... Who is Sullivan it? took... Right. Well, Sullivan is doing is, is making the government turn over all exculpatory and other information Under that the could Brady be relevant rule. to Michael Flynn's defense, which many people, <clears> Jim Hoff included, right, that there could be bombshells coming out. Jim uh, Hoff did a great report. Uh, an absolutely fantastic report. Again, yeah. he's going to be joining us here shortly. But uh, Jim Hoff did a report where Andrew McCabe altered Peter Strzok's 302 notes on General Flynn on that interview then destroyed the evidence. Remember when we heard, wait a minute, the 302s were being altered? 302s were being, uh, is that what I'm hearing? And then, uh, of course, uh, uh, James Comey, the saint, the sanctimonious saint that he is, the uh, guy who could do no wrong, the uh, yeah, according to uh, Mike Cernovich, the former deputy director, of course, of the FBI, that being Andrew McCabe, altered the, the uh, uh, altered the, uh, uh, far left FBI investigator Peter Strzok's notes, and of course the, the notes go into the 302, or sometimes notes serve as three, the 302. It's just a matter of transferring the information, but generally speaking, the 302 are the handwritten uh, contemporaneous notes of the FBI. And then, of course, what happened? McCabe destroyed the evidence, and this is being covered up. This comes after. Uh, Byron New York. Now, I don't necessarily agree with everything that Byron New York says, but it's interesting. Byron New York reported that, that FBI James Comey told lawmakers that Flynn did not lie under oath. In this case, obviously, it's interesting to see that. Uh, then Flynn was indicted by Mueller months later for lying. And what has changed? Now, according to Mike Cernovich, Andrew McCabe altered uh, Strzok's 302 reports and then destroyed the evidence, as I mentioned. Now, in March, he's going to be able to retire with, what, $3.1 million or $1.8 million in pension and, and, and pension benefits paid by you and me. Thank you very much. Now, um, that's the story. And Mike Cernovich tweeted out that in, uh, that was on uh, February 18th, so that had been yesterday, uh, last night. And it's interesting because Cernovich also, I think it was also, I think Cernovich also dropped the fact that HR was going to retire or, or resign. Did you see that? Happen to see that? Maybe I. No. I, I, it was just kind of an off, off the record tweet. I'm not sure if it was Cernovich. I think it was. But anyway, uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan, a uh, federal judge, took the extraordinary, extraordinary step of naming a special prosecutor, uh, prosecutor to investigate whether the government lawyers should remain themselves prosecuted or should themselves be prosecuted for federal criminal wrongdoing. Bottom line, the uh, tables have turned in the uh, uh, Stevens, or the tables turned, he turned the tables more appropriately, let me just say it properly. Uh, Emmett Sullivan in the, I don't know how many people remember this, the, the Ted Stevens investigation, the ethics violation when he was senator of Alaska way back when. Okay, Sullivan was the judge that stepped in and demanded the Brady evidence to be, uh, the Brady rule evidence, the exculpatory evidence to be uh, pushed into the, the witch hunt. And Sidney Powell, who wrote License to Lie, went into great detail about this. Oh, fabulous detail. About that case, about Enron, about the Stevens investigation, about the... Uh, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, that's who, uh, Judge Sullivan, and you mentioned Sullivan, that's who's taking over this, um, making this, this happen. So there is a war in the FBI. There's a war in the Department of Justice. There's a war among the judges, basically, at the judiciary level to, to restore law and order. And I think that's being, I don't know, do you think it's being, uh, restored or starting to be, or what are you seeing? Because no. I, no, no. no? No, I, you know, this whole, from, from what we see in the political arena, 
from the left. And just in the, we, we've seen a distraction with the school shooting with the gun control call. Yep. But, I mean, look at all, what all we've learned. And I watched an interview that Jeff Sessions did <clears throat> on Fox Business, either Fox Business or it was on Judge Janine. It was one of the, the ladies on either Fox or Fox Business who have their own show. And he was asked about these things. He was asked about the... I, I saw the interview. Yeah. I was really disappointed. He, he took, you know, kind of a backseat approach, basically Rod Rosenstein. The impression I got is, is Rosenstein's running the DOJ. Jeff Sessions is, uh, you know, out, out to lunch. He's recused himself. And, you know, he, he did make the point that if he expects other attorney generals to play by the rule of law, then he has to do the same. That's why he recused himself. But I don't agree with it for a second. And whoever was the host of that show laid out, uh, very well, you know, the abuses from the, the FISA court abuses, abuses to the FBI investigators, the people on Robert Mueller's team who are still functioning in the FBI between the, uh, Mueller and, yeah, that Hillary was on, Clinton by the way, that was on Maria Bar- Bartiromo. Okay. Uh, so just, that was a Sunday talk show. And he had no steam. He had no, nothing to say. No, he didn't say, yes, we're going to be prosecuting people. He didn't say we're going to be calling grand juries. He said, what? We're going to continue to investigate, but I can't get into this because I'm recused, basically. And I was very disappointed. If you expect these people to investigate and hold themselves accountable, then, you know, we're going to be here for a long, long time. But, I, so I look at, no, but see, okay, I, I looked at it a little bit differently. I think when you look at that, because I watched that video a couple of times, and when you, when you, uh, when I watched his appearance a couple of times, and when you kind of look at how much he did say, look, I, I understand how he couched his statements. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he, look, he, 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 his office was really responsible for the, text messages, for example, of Peter Peter Strzok and Lisa Page to come into the sunlight. He also mentioned, and I don't know how many caught this, that there were some 20, 27, over two dozen investigations into leaks. Did, did you all catch that? Yes, he did. Okay. Say 20, is it 27? 27 uh, open investigations regarding right. leaks. Now, in the previous regime, there were only three in one year, and... Uh, but uh, one of the one of those leak investigations is on the Flynn, uh, Flynn and Russians ambassador phone call, folks. We're getting to break. We're right back. You're listening to the this edition, the Monday edition, opening salvo for the Hagman report today. It is February nineteenth, President's Day. Hug a president here at work. Hug a president. <laughs> Doggone right we are. We work all the time. That's right. Stay right where you're at. You're listening to the Hagman report. Don't forget, uh, I will be. I'll be back in the chair tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock Eastern time, for the Doug Hagman Radio Show. Wasn't there this morning, but we'll be back in there, of course, celebrating President's Day, right? And, uh, and hmm. of course, uh, actually, no, I had some, uh, I should probably get a legal defense fund. Uh, never mind. Anyway, we're going to break back, stay right where you're at. Remember, look, this is the biggest, I believe that this, regardless of how many 
look, I understand about the school shootings. I understand about, uh, I understand about Las Vegas, but I, I really believe what we're witnessing today is the most important times, most important events in American history. We are looking at the deep state, the, the black hats within the government, the, the permanent bureaucracy, the permanent state colluding. And, and if anyone is colluding with Russia, it is them. Not us. I've been, you know, I've been accused, we've been accused of, of being Russian operatives. How, how crazy is that? Okay. Yeah. So, but look, we are, we are looking at the biggest story of our lifetime, and that is this exposure. And I think Donald Trump is behind this, fully behind this. We're looking at the exposure, at this exposure of the biggest story, the, 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 the deep state, the permanent bureaucracy, their machinations, their nefarious activities against the government of the United States. And that is being exposed through uh, the Devin Nunes, through the three separate investigative bodies, although one, the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, I think yeah, we could probably do without that one. And when you look at uh, really whose side they're on, but, but hold that thought because we're looking at, uh, we're looking at uh, some things taking place with the Flynn, the Flynn, uh, warrant, which of course it was renewed on January 4th, right before the election. I mean, and it was renewed, uh, two, uh, or it was renewed a couple of times, uh, after the election. It, this is so crazy. Uh, by the way, we had, we, we saw in the summer of tw- uh, 2016, just want to remind everyone, we saw two different attempts to get FISA warrants against Donald Trump and his team or members of the team. And, um, uh, didn't happen, of course. Um, then, of course, October 21st, the uh, uh, FISA warrant was issued. Uh, if you get a chance also, well, make it a point, I would say, to, to visit the Gateway Pundit. Read Jim Hoff's columns, too. Go back in time to read Jim Hoff's columns. Jim has been right on the money with everything with respect to this. But what yeah. this is, I believe this is, you know what, Joe, this is the most important story of our lifetime. That's why I spent a lot of time in my morning show really hammering this home because we're witnessing something so critical where you've got the Department of Justice, the uh, FBI weaponized, Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, and, and who's, by the way, after the uh, Russian indictments, who's yapping and yipping on Twitter and elsewhere? Eric Holder. Well, he's going to run for president. Right? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, Lynch is kind of being quiet. So is Hillary Clinton with respect Obama to this. spoke out a little bit, yep. called for yep. more gun control. And we're seeing these protests, these, uh, what are they calling them, die-ins, where people are uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretending to be dead in front of the White House for maximum effect on gun control. And as I said over the weekend, a number of Sunday morning shows from MSNBC, NBC, CNN, all were calling for gun control, specifically Chuck Todd on NBC, calling for a complete ban of the Second Amendment, all while calling the president unhinged as he went on a Twitter rant over the Russia news that that broke with Robert Mueller. And one other thing on the school shooting, I don't know how many people covered this, I thought this was a pretty interesting to note the school shooter his brother was involuntarily committed to a mental facility on friday evening in so, so he was uh taking involuntarily authorities removed someone from the home okay of the de camps a longtime family friend of the cruz brothers who took them in after their adopted mother died uh, the the brother turns 18 next week he was the person removed from the home 
involuntarily committed. So, so this is a little bit of after action cover your butt kind of stuff, right? Is that, or, or is, is, was there a legitimate threat there? Well, apparently there was, uh, some kind of, the guy had a breakdown or, or was going through something because to involuntarily be committed, that means other, more than one person is saying, yes, you need to be, um, you know, temporarily uh, held against your will. This is not something he volunteered to do. So apparently it, this is a, an after effect of the shooting. Maybe the brother knew what he was going to do and didn't know. Maybe he feels guilty about it. Maybe there's other things going on there. Maybe he has his own uh, serious mental illness that he's had for a while. Either way, it's interesting to, you know, too little, too late in my opinion, but interesting. Well, uh, we'll be talking about that and more. Uh, you're going to have to join our, our um, second hour guest as well at the bottom of the second hour. Oh, we're going to be talking about the school shooting, the Parkland school shooting, and more. But before we go on with the program, you know, I want to thank each and every one of you for supporting this broadcast. We could not do what we do without you. We couldn't do it. Thank you so much. And those who sponsor our program, such as uh, such as Da Vinci. Now, now, I, I want to introduce, I want to welcome to the program uh, Da Vinci. Meet DaVinciMeet.com. Okay, DaVinciMeet.com slash Hagman. You might say, well, what's that? Let me tell you something. I, this is great. I know I've got a lot of, uh, of, uh, people within, uh, private sectors listening to this program who are business people who need places to meet. I'm going to give you a mantra, shall we say. Search, book, meet. Okay? Now, remember that. Search, book, meet. Very easy. Search book meet. What do I mean by that? If you've ever run a small business or if you've ever run a business and you want to meet someone, let, let, let's say, for example, you're based in Phoenix, Arizona, but you need to meet customers or clients face-to-face in New York or Los Angeles or Omaha or you name the city, what do you do? Oh, well, I'll meet you at Starbucks, right? No, forget that. Remember this, Da Vinci meet dot com slash Hagman. DaVinciMeet dot com slash Hagman. I wish I would have had this 25 years ago. This could have saved me a lot of grief meeting clients in other cities. Now, if you are running a business, if you need to meet someone, if you need to have a conference room, a, a day room, uh, a board room, meeting room, whatever, you can skip the coffee shop meeting and get a DaVinci meeting room instead. I want to welcome them. DaVinciMeet dot com slash Hagman. In fact, it's going to be in the program description as well as on our website, davincimeet.com slash Hagman. Now, look, it's fast, it's affordable, it's easy as, what did I say? Search book meet. Simply, simply that. From day offices to conference rooms, boardrooms to training spaces, the DaVinci platform provides you instant access to over 5,000 affordable, affordable meeting rooms in well-known office locations in every city. And I spoke with the fine folks at DaVinci. Let me tell you something. Okay. Let's say you need, uh, let's say you need an address. They're getting, even getting into this. Let's say you need an address in a well-known, like the Empire State Building or something like that. They'll take care of it for you. Search, book, meet. DaVinciMeet.com slash Hagman. Oh, this is a fantastic service. And again, I wish I would have had this when I was doing business on the road. Your DaVinci meeting room comes with high-speed Internet, all the presentation tools to make your next meeting a success, whether it's one person, two, or a bunch. 
of, of people, of meetings, whatever. Just search book and meet. Just remember those three words. Search book and meet. And you know what? When, when they told me this, I couldn't believe it. It only starts. It, it, all, all of this starts at only $10 an hour. Ten bucks. Huh. I, you cannot get it. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, that's right. You can't get any better than this. What I want you to do is go to davincimeet.com slash Hagman. That's D-A-V-I-N-C-I, meet, M-E-E-T. That's davincimeet.com slash Hagman. And for a limited time, you'll get 50% off your first purchase. That's davincimeet.com slash Hagman. Now, terms and conditions do apply. See davincimeet.com slash Hagman for details. But 50% off your first purchase. You cannot beat this. So if you're, the deal is, is if you're wanting to meet, and we've had this be, happen to us before, we wanted to meet clients in a respectable setting. Where do we end up meeting them? Dunkin' Donuts, Tim Hortons. Oh, remember those days? Oh, not anymore. DaVinciMeet.com slash Hagman takes care of it for us. If we need a meeting space, there it is. And it starts at only $10 an hour. That's 10, 10 bucks, $10 an hour, 10 bucks. You, you just can't beat that. My goodness. It's a Da Vinci platform. It's fantastic. Search, book, and meet. What a welcome then as sponsors to the Hagman Report. Search, book, meet, DaVinciMeet.com slash Hagman. You remember that. The internet so, makes things so easy nowadays. I'm going to tell you, you re- remember those times when we, we, we were either in New York City. Where do you want to meet? Well, I don't know. You, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Where do you want to be? I, well, I don't know. Well, we need to set up this meeting. Well, we're going to, I don't know. Oh, we'll meet at, uh, Mel's Diner, you know, or something. And, and then all the noise and stuff and no internet connection. And, you know, it's just a, now you got davincimeet.com slash Hagman. Ten bucks an hour, yeah, starting at ten bucks an hour, plus fifty percent off your first purchase. Um, so I know there's a lot of people out there in the in the business realm and business world that are are looking for something like this. This is the place to go. I talked to them, uh, like I said, I talked to them, and just fantastic people. DaVinciMeet.com slash Hagman. I yeah, wanna, I want to uh, yeah. cover a few things um, just real quick while we're talking about the still talking about the Russia investigation. Yeah. Robert Mueller, CNN. Uh, true to form, I must say. I, I, I saw this, uh, just a little bit ago, and I, I'm glad that I, I saved this. Okay. CNN reporter goes dumpster diving yeah. for collusion evidence in <laughs> Moscow. Special counsel Mueller indicted 13 Russian nationals on Friday, uh, who were accused of attempting to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. CNN is doubling down on its coverage of possible collusion between the Kremlin and the Trump campaign. They in want fact, this so bad. Can they give me you? This is insane. I'm going to dump in there and go through the coffee car. We're hey, going to have to play Pampers. the video uh, in the third hour. What do they call? What do they, wait, wait, what do they call Pampers in Russia? I don't know. Oh, you should know. You're Russian. We're Russians. I don't know. <laughs> Swimming through the dumpster. Okay, so they have I a... Hate, I, hate, I hate Trump so bad. I'm going to get them... They have a chief yeah, international correspondent whose name is Matthew Chance. They sent him to St. Petersburg, Russia to literally dig through the garbage of an office building housing the alleged troll farm in order to try to find some clues. It's in here somewhere. I know it's. I'll find it. That's what, you know, this is what, this guy went to to Russia, went to this office building where business is still conducted, and he's being asked by CNN in Atlanta, you look through the trash there, what did you find? He says, yes, we did. Coffee folders. We came here expecting this office to be empty, but in fact they've been... (laughs) 
we, we've been here throughout the course of the day, and people have been going in and out, surprisingly. An office building is being used to run a business. Uh, you don't say. And they're asking, what did you find in the trash? And when we went to the trash can to see what we could find, hey, old, that's people the dumping, room. old people dumping rubbish in there. And then there's this weird line, <laughs> new computers are being delivered here, and they're throwing it away with the rubbish. End of article. Oh, so no. So you have Wait CNN reporters dumpster Wait. diving in office buildings in Russia being reported in the United States as a Trump-Russia collusion breaking news update. And they, I, I can't imagine that they expected to find anything. Well, they're hell-bent on finding uh, stuff about Donald Trump, That's let me tell you. Fun. And they're not going to stop until they find it because they have to, because they've got to get rid of Donald Trump no matter what. I say this all the time in my morning show. Folks, if you haven't done so, I know you miss me, right? You miss me and you miss today. You think, doggone it, where's Doug's show? He's off today again? We'll go back and listen to the previous programs. I say this all the time. They're not going to stop until they get Donald Trump out of office or they okay. are, are stopped. I'm well, let me telling you that. There was an interesting story. Yeah. It's up on Hagman Report. Yep. Of a volunteer Good security. Good job, by the way, Hagman Report. Go ahead. A volunteer security officer uh-huh. in the Trump motorcade uh-huh. who got uh, thrown off the detail for accidentally bringing his personal firearm into the motorcade. Uh-huh. And they're saying it was an accident. He forgot to put the Whoops. bag into his private vehicle. Instead, his personal firearm was in a bag in the vehicle in the motorcade, and this triggered security concerns. You think? And rightfully so. Do you think there's more here than um, what's Look, being reported? I, I, I is it know. an accident? Do we know either way? If if it was traced back to it as a personal firearm, I don't know. But can you believe what's being reported? Is it his personal firearm, of course? Uh, right. You know, there's a lot here. But in my view, there's nothing that should be taken off the table when it comes to attempting to get rid of Donald Trump. They hate this man so bad. They hate the policies. They hate everything he stands for. They hate the fact that he cheated Hillary Clinton, our saviorist. Out of the presidency, she deserved it. She was the smartest woman, is the smartest woman in the world, despite the fact that, you know, uh, she never met, uh, you know, Ban Rolon or deodorant until, uh, she was the first lady of Arkansas, and even then that was iffy. Um, uh, you know, or never saw, uh, you know, the, the business side of a bick, uh, since that time, according to that Edward Klein, right? Hey, I'm just, I, hey, I'm just saying, okay? And, and of course her, you know, or, you know, I, I'll go this way, I'll go that way, no sex, yes sex, girl, boy, who knows, I don't know. But yet, see, because she didn't get in office, they're gonna, they're gonna, yeah, I brought my personal gun. The rigged election. I forgot. She lost the rigged election. Right. It was rigged. Dog, doggone Russians rigged it. No, I mean, the election was rigged for her. Well, of course. I, I don't believe it, she got it, 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 that many votes. Yeah, well, yeah, it, we won the close. popular vote. Did you see the enthusiasm of a crowd? She couldn't even get a, a high school to fill up its own theater during school hours, let alone people to come out and fill <laughs> stadiums. And then we're supposed to believe that more people voted for her in the popular vote? Class, class. We'll, we'll, we'll won, spread out what? Skittles to every every child. Go she ahead. won 98% of, of all counties, yet he somehow lost the popular vote. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it, it does if you consider that. The people in Los Angeles and Miami and uh, New York City are morons. Well, this still think doesn't account sense. for that much of a difference, I don't think. Yeah, the, crunching the numbers, look. Uh, the, the flyover country, the people in inside the United States of America, the, the true patriots, we know, we knew that we could not elect this globalist uh, uh, monster. 
and, and put her in the White House, in the Oval Office. We already had eight years of postmodernism in the White House, eight years of attacks on our Constitution, eight years of, of crap, eight years of globalist policies, eight years of Muslim-loving, um, uh, when I say Muslim-loving, I'm talking about the terrorist aspect, the Sharia-loving, that uh, uh, bias toward uh, Islam and against, uh, obviously, Judeo-Christian uh, uh uh, religious ideology and philosophy. So you've already had that in the White House. Uh, an extension of Bush, the George W. Bush, an extension of Bill Clinton. This is, uh, so, yeah, I- I'm going to stop there. But look, uh, what we've witnessed, I really believe, is the subversion of institutions of our government. And people are saying, wow, look at what Donald Trump has done uh, to our to the FBI and what he says. No, you know what? The subversion of government institutions began in earnest under Bill Clinton. The subversion of government institutions continued under W as well as, and they were amplified by uh, by Barack Hussein Obama. The uh, uh, there was surveillance that was attempted to be justified. The political government institutions were used to promote this political objectives. When have you ever, in the, in the course of American history, heard where political institutions, especially those under the DOJ and the FBI, were used to promote political agendas, to advance uh, political agendas, to um, damage, the, so much damage was done to our uh, government institutions, it's crazy. By the way, the money flow, it's now... With it's there's it's beyond dispute, the money flow, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton campaign, DNC to uh, or via Perkins Coy to Fusion GPS to Christopher Steele, and where'd this money come from? They're talking about money influencing the elections. Where'd it come from? Russia. A lot of it came from Russians. So if there's any collusion, it's it's by Hillary Clinton, and I had mentioned about. Uh, uh, by the way, we kind of skimmed over that Contreras thing and Sullivan slapping around uh, uh, the, uh, the people with respect to the Flynn indictment, changing 302s. You don't do that. That's more than frowned upon by members of the... I'll tell you what, 302s are sacrosanct. When they're written, they're supposed to be written uh, by the agents, and they're supposed to be you know, maintained and, and truthful, and yet uh, some 302s were reportedly changed. And that under the FISA court, Sullivan comes in and says, wait a minute, Michael Flynn, uh, you're telling me that some of the 302s, uh, McCabe and, and others changed? Is it McCabe? I can't remember. Or so many names bouncing around there. Anyway, bottom line is, is, uh, so it, some of the uh, exculpatory evidence was withheld. Sullivan was peeved, judge, that is. Sullivan was absolutely PO'd, man. He came in there and, uh, did you ever see a PO judge before? Oh, I have. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But the, he was he was upset. He said, "No, man, this 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 is wrong, and you fix it." So um, there it is. And of course, it's going to come out where you've got. And, and, and folks, by the way, I want to ask Jim Hoff this too. Remember, just remember this. Don't forget about that odd inauguration day email sent by Susan Rice. What was going on there? Type it. Type it. Type it. Type it. Type it. I'd apply 15 minutes. Stop typing. Obama did everything by the book. Yeah. Talking about that. Ring true at all. January 5th meeting. It seemed like it was part of a, a cover up and not something that would be naturally done by her, especially on her last day in office. 
But we're going to get Nothing a chance to, to talk to, to Jim Hoffman just a few minutes. I just want to cover this. The uh, Olympics are doing really bad in network ratings. NBC's terrible Olympics. I stopped watching after 1980. <laughs> yeah, it gets worse in week two. As marquee names flee, ratings sink, and anchors struggle to find anything good to cover in the wake of the school massacre. They're talking about the loss of Matt Lauer and others on NBC and other uh, events like the school shooting and lack of primetime uh, medal winning by the U.S. has led to a huge downturn in double-digit ratings since the last Winter Games, the Sochi Games, and they hit a new low of 13.62 million viewers, and they are struggling, apparently, as uh, this article is very interesting related to the Olympics. North Korea's failed Olympians hope to avoid dangerous consequences. And we've seen, as with anything else we've seen in the last year and a half, everything become hyper-politicized. And the Olympics and the uh, Olympic athletes and their political views are among them. We see people coming and speaking out against Donald Trump and people speaking for Donald Trump, and then that seems to affect their popularity in uh, and with the U.S. population. You, you know, I'll start watching the Olympics when they bring back the tug of war or live pigeon shooting. You know, you know they did that, right? They and the uh, you know they have the the national anthem, which nobody is taking a knee for. But did you see there was a school, and I have to pull this article up, but there was a gym teacher who forced everybody to stand. I think this was outside of yeah, for the national anthem, yeah, and she was fired. charged with child abuse. Oh, that's right, that's right, for making children stand for the national anthem. She was charged with child abuse. I'll have to pull that story up. But interesting, and you know that's Korea. that's a in my view that's abuse that's abuse of the administrative power. Oh yeah, and I've got a lot to say about abuse of power. I really do abuse of power, but that's the abuse of administrative power. But nonetheless, interesting so, story. One interesting storyline of the Olympics is the as the North Koreans return home yes. from their week of the Winter Games, possibly without any medals. Olympians hope to avoid the gulags, a fate of the losers of 1966 World Cup are believed to have experience. 22 North Koreans participated in the 2018 Olympics with the support of the cheerleading squad. This was the ninth winter games that North Korea was Imagine that. I, I lost. I got to go home. N- not, to, not to be, well, you know, was a World Cup we're just going to get shot. Bang. A World Cup team lost the World Cup games back in 2010 to a 5-3 to three, and they, the whole team, Line 22 members were thrown in prison camps. Right. Right. So well, we'll get you ready for the next games. They uh and Here, Kim, break these rocks. Kim Jong Un didn't even announce that they were going to be participating in these games till less than six weeks before they happened. So you didn't have athletes preparing for years on end like you do in every other country in events that they specialize in. But you sent these people there, and now when they come home, many are fearing that they could end up being. Put into prison camps themselves. It's pretty. It's pretty sad. Why won't they just run? They're free right now. Uh, get out of. I it. asked for asylum, but again, I'm not going to watch until they bring back tug of war, or better yet, croquet. Did they used to have tug of war? They, in 1900, they had croquet and tug of war. I think it was 1920. Actual Olympic sports, tug of war, and, yeah, and croquet. Can you imagine watching croquet? You think you think golf is bad, right? Croquet. Well, some people like the Summer Olympics better than the Holy Winter cow. Olympics, and. Uh, well, What's I the difference I besides this temperature? I haven't watched any of them, so I don't know. I want to mention know. this story here. Uh, apparently, a lot of people like this guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And 
Okay. I don't know who he is. He's a scientist who's on TV, apparently. But he has been, uh, Twitter has been lighting him up. He put out a tweet about the school shooting, but it, it has more to do with prayer. It says, evidence collected over many years, obtained from many locations, indicates that the power of prayer is insufficient to stop bullets from killing school children. Many people really um, responded on Twitter mm. uh, to this guy. But this is the overwhelming attitude that we see with respect. Uh, from the people on the left. Yep. And, yep. you know, why didn't we see these big, uh, you know, marches and demonstrations against guns when Obama was in office? How come as soon as Trump gets into office, you know, now we see well, all the media pushing against the guns, saying it's Trump fault, even queuing students who are being interviewed to, yeah. uh, you know, bring up the gun issue and asking leading questions and whatnot. And like I said, from Chuck Todd and many of these Sunday morning shows calling for an, an uh, ending of the Second Amendment, we see, you know, the gun control, the pushing of how they're saying the NRA uh, has so much power and influence in Washington. And one thing I learned that I think it was Rush Limbaugh who put out there, what the NRA spent in the 2016 election uh, was nothing was like less than a percent of what the labor union spent. They spent in the billions, 1.7 billion. Well, the NRA spent, I believe, 10 million in the uh, 2016 election. So when you look at and you know, power uh, influence uh, yeah. with some of these organizations, yeah. there's no denying that they they yeah. have that power and influence. But is it as heavy and as prevalent as many in the media will have you believe? I, I, look, I don't know, but I, I do know that you've got the money aspects of things on the NRA, NRA which I don't believe the lobbying. Okay, I, I, no, I see the, the numbers. No, is a huge problem on any but, issue. But, but, okay, but the, the ad, um, uh, you know, I, I just don't, look, I would second guess all of, all of that if I see it in print or if I hear it in the media. And the impact, just for example, and, and again, I'm referencing Jim Hoff, as he reported about the Russian Facebook ads, um, the, the hoaxes. Uh, Russians spent a total of, what, $3,000 in three states, Michigan, Wichita, uh, Mich- Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania during the election. That's it, three grand. Yeah. Right? So when you look at numbers, you got to look at reliable Information And, again, upcoming right now is going to be Jim Hoff from the Gateway Pundit, editor-in-chief. So glad to have him. You're going to, you're going to want to listen to this next 30 minutes, this next segment. Stay with us. You're listening to the Hagman Report on this President's Day, 2018. edition of the Hagman Report on this President's Day 2018. That means spring is coming soon, right? It, it really, it, well, please, 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 please. Oh, man, I'll tell you, a lot of news, a lot of headlines, a lot of information out there, and we kind of sift through everything. I was talking to Pastor Dave Langford today and, and talking about how, how long it takes us to do the prep, prep work for one show, and it's for really for, for every hour of airtime for every, well, really for every 45 minutes of airtime, period. That, that's not reflective of our broadcasting hour. It takes two hours, two between two and three hours of show prep. And, uh, anyway, it's, it's so, but I'm going to thank each and every one of you for, uh, uh, for joining us and for your 
following belief in, in us as we look at the headlines. Upcoming is going to be Jim Hoft. I have followed thegatewaypundit.com. That is thegatewaypundit.com. Do not go to anything else but thegatewaypundit.com. I've followed Jim Hoft at, uh, at thegatewaypundit.com for a number of years. He is always spot on in terms of his information. Uh, I had gone to the Gateway Pundit and I was surprised because he had, uh, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I knew of him and knew about him and, uh, but I was surprised. He, I mean, he won all sorts of awards and, uh, of course, thegatewaypundit.com was awarded, it was ranked as one of the top political pl- blogs in the nation. It's been cited by Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, The Drudge Report, The Blaze, The Hagman Report, that's right, Fox Nation and by several international news organizations, including but not limited to the Russians. Um, you're gonna have to have Eric, like, get a good voice for that, the Ruskies. Comrade, right? Anyway, joining us right now is Jim Hoft, editor-in-chief of TheGatewayPundit.com, TheGatewayPundit.com. Jim Hoft, welcome to the program. So glad to have you. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thank you for that nice introduction. Well, I gotta tell you, man. It's great to have you. Yeah, we've been following him. um, Stalking him. Eric said we, we got the connection, we just need the video. We're not receiving your video feed. Yeah. Let's see what I can do here. All right. Okay, here we go. Five, four. I'm hey, there we go. All right. All right. Yeah, perfect. There we go. A good-looking guy like yourself, you know. You, you, you can't. Uh... <laughs> hey, what's this I hear about uh, Russia interfering with our election? Um, of course, you know, you're behind on all the news on the gatewaypundit.com. In other words, you're not following it. I just can't stand. No, I mean, I'll tell you what, I go there for show prep. It's necessary show prep. What's up with the Russian bots I've been hearing about? You yeah, know? it's, uh, it's complete nonsense, as you guys know. Um, this, uh, this is the biggest, uh, fake news story of the year. I get, uh, attacked quite frequently from the left for being fake news, and yet, uh, they've, pushed this narrative for a year, they still have no proof of anything. We know it's bullshit. I don't know if I can say that on your show. Excuse well, you me. just did. Um, <laughs> right. That, that's all right. That. Uh, uh, 700 anyway, bucks. That's all right. I'm everybody, kidding. Everybody knows it's it's not true, um, and yet they continue to do this. Uh, the media is just totally out of control, and I think that's the reason why you know websites like the Gateway Pundit, Drudge Report, and shows like yours uh, have the success they do because... People will always seek out the truth, and uh, they're not finding it in the mainstream media today. No, you're absolutely spot on. Um, Jim, do you think, and I, I, I'm telling you, I think this is the biggest story. I mean, you and I, I mean, you, I'm sure you're younger than I am probably by, I don't know, but, but to me this is the biggest story of our lifetime. The the fact that we have this coup taking place against Donald Trump, against the will of the American people, attempting to overturn an election. Man, I don't know what else is bigger. And, and then, of yeah. course, your headlines today, fantastic uh, investigative reporting on, on uh, the uh, changing of the 302s. Uh, Andrew McCabe altered, struck 302 notes on the Flynn interview. Then we see the Flynn uh, uh, plea uh, being postponed until sometime after May and Sullivan coming on, and he, he's pretty peeved. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. It's it's it's, uh, it's absolutely crazy what's happening. Um, we're finding more and more corruption. And uh, guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up where I loved the FBI and I loved uh, the CIA and I thought they were cool guys and I loved the movies and 
I just thought they were complete badasses. I thought they had integrity. I thought they stood for America. And my whole view has changed on the past year after, you know, learning some of this stuff. And what we know they did to Donald Trump and his family, they have tortured that family. Not just Donald Trump, but his sons, his son-in-law, his daughter. And they have been spying on them since it looks like over a year now. We don't even know if they're still spying on him or not. Over some fake document that they threw together that the Democrats paid for. I mean, you really can't make this up. But it's just absolutely stunning what's going on. This report we put up last night, and it's our story of the day today, and that is that Andrew McCabe, who stepped down a few weeks ago, but still is going to get his retirement worth $1.8 million is what I hear. He stepped down, and yet he took Peter Strzok's interview with General Flynn, Michael Flynn, who you can tell just looking at the guy, he's an admirable man. He's full of integrity. And they took it, and this McCabe changed the notes. So it's basically the notes that Peter Strzok took. Those are the 302s. He changed those to put down something defamatory against General Flynn, and then he got rid of the originals. So, again, here's another huge crime. And if you guys are like me, I think there's millions and millions of Americans who want to see justice served. I'm tired of seeing these people break laws when we see sailors out there who took a couple of snapshots of a submarine serving time, and these criminals can walk away and get their full retirement. It's obscene what's going on in our government today. Yeah, absolutely, Jim, it is. And we were talking before you came on about an interview Jeff Sessions gave over the weekend on Fox News and how, you know, really we so few, we never see these opportunities where you have actionable evidence proving the corruption, proving the extent of what they did to Donald Trump and his campaign. Yet we see the Attorney General and others sitting on the sidelines. And I know that it takes a long time sometimes for justice to be brought and whatnot, but from what you've seen from Jeff Sessions and from the Justice Department, do you believe that they will hold an actual and credible investigation and will try to hold these people accountable, or do you think it's going to be a whitewash like kind of what we've seen so far? That's such a great question. You know, I saw that interview yesterday, and I thought it was interesting that they asked Jeff Sessions if he was still, you know, thinking that stepping aside for this Russian investigation was a good thing. And he said, yeah, I need to do that because people need to see that, you know, the top person in the Justice Department is following the laws. And I thought to myself, this guy still doesn't get it. He was being questioned because he shook hands with this Russian ambassador in a cocktail line and had no contact with this guy, wasn't contacting him during the week or anything, and the left went berserk. And so he withdrew his name from any investigation into this Russia witch hunt. And then we see the guy who takes it over is this Rosenstein, and now we know that Rosenstein was the one who signed at least one of those FISA requests saying that had the dossier as evidence 
against the Trump family, this bogus dossier. So Rosenstein should have recused himself, and I just can't believe that Sessions is so blind. We've written about this several times, as you know, and I'm just wondering if they got some dirt on Sessions, because he's a completely different person than what we've seen in the past. Man, I'll tell you, you are right on the money. By the way, our guest, of course, as you can see, is Jim Hoft. He is the editor-in-chief. He's the guy behind thegatewaypundit.com. This is required reading. Bookmark this website and follow the Gateway Pundit, follow at Gateway Pundit on Twitter. Follow Jim Hoft on Twitter. But i got to tell you, we do our show research from this website, thegatewaypundit.com. Now, you mentioned Jeff Sessions, Rod Rosenstein. We still have swamp creatures embedded in our government, the permanent state, the permanent bureaucracy. Uh, how do you see this playing out? Kind of this being your your first time, our first time together, and in, in me being able to actually speak with you. How do you see this playing out? Uh, man, I just I, I I'm tongue tied. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, um, there's been several times in the past couple of years where I thought we really hit a low. I didn't know if we could survive. Some of the things were coming down. Donald Trump hit so, so many uh, uh, depths and valleys, and yet he always was able to climb out of it. I think there's a, you know, I'm just going to say, and I think there's something almost, uh, I think God watched over this country when Donald Trump got elected. I don't know where we'd be with if Hillary Clinton was uh, in, in office now. I know that they were working, we see today that they were working even before the election to crack down on the fake news uh, websites, which of course was was myself, probably would include you and uh, anyone else on the conservative right, um, and they were they were going to shut us down. And I'm just so grateful that uh, he's in office today, and I gotta trust that things are going to work out somehow. Um, I, I do believe there's some great people in Congress who are doing their job, and they may be the ones who hold people accountable. It may be some heroes in Congress. I don't think it's going to be Jeff Sessions. I wish he'd remove himself from office. He's been a disaster, as we just said. So, uh, but but I do have hope for uh, the country, and uh, you know, I, I I gotta stay positive at this point. Um, I think the left is in serious trouble. They ran on all they had was this Russian narrative for a year and a half, and now people are starting to see it fall apart. Ordinary Americans, and they've seen how much Trump has got bashed over the past year. I think he's earned a lot of sympathy from Americans, actually. And I think also this uh, this tax cut package is really going to kick into gear in the next couple of months. That's really going to make people wake up and just see uh, that this president's on their side and not this crazy communist party on the left. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I know Joe's got a question, but I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the tax package because I think it, 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 people are going to see that in the, in the coming months. Now, I know that it's gotten somewhat of an end date. I, I get all that. But, man, for the average person, for the average person that works for a living like you and I, um, we need that relief. If you've got a small business, we need that relief. And, and, so, and the accomplishments by the Donald Trump in the first 12 months that no one is talking about except you and, of course, Jim Hoft, thegatewaypundit.com. Make sure you put the in there, D-H-E, thegatewaypundit.com. But, uh, yeah, so, so okay, and you mentioned one thing, too, and I want to 
uh, I just want to reiterate this. You, you and I, I, we, we both grew up in an era where Sunday nights you turn on the television and watch, uh, the FBI. Maybe you didn't, I did. Um, uh, I, you know, and, and it was a respectable organization. We have seen more damage done to our, uh, institutions like the FBI, the Department of Justice, by by who, by Obama, by Lynch, by Holder, by the progressives in power. It's just it it, it frankly it pisses me off. Right. You know. Uh, so yeah, um, swear jar. You know, you know, I had a conversation uh, about a year and a half ago before the election with uh, he was the, the, the top guy at the FBI, not the top guy, but one of one of the leaders there, and he had retired since then. And we had this discussion, and I asked him about the agency, and he said, he told me that, you know, 80% of the, the agency is conservative. It's just these, uh, you know, the, the squishy left who like to get the office jobs, and then they like to, you know, play politics and work themselves up, uh, you know, in the apparatus. And, uh, so it's, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of great people in that agency, um, but certainly the leadership is tainted, um, and, uh, it's very corrupt. And so I, I hope that it gets cleaned out um, because, really, I think there's been severe damage to the FBI's name um, since uh, Trump was elected, since we find out, found out all these things about what Obama was doing. And so I hope they can clean it up and have some redemption. We'll see. Jim, if we can, let's uh, talk about the media's role in all of this. We know that the media, in my opinion, is just as guilty as many in the DOJ in the top levels of the FBI because they, you know, were running with information that was being leaked to them, knowing it was not true, trying to uh, paint Trump in a corner. And we've seen uh, them completely become unhinged. And as you said, the the Democratic Party's out of ideas. The only thing that they are running on is illegal immigration and anti-Trump rhetoric. And it seems that the media has jumped in with both feet into that ideology and agenda which I call a deceptive spirit more than anything else. But uh, what, how is the media oh, yeah. going to come out of this, if at all? It seems yeah, like they yeah. commit suicide every day as <laughs> they continue to, to try to further this narrative. What do we see happening with the, the CNNs of the world and the mainstream media? Yeah, I think uh, Trump has this knack where people really reveal themselves. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen that throughout the election. And he certainly has done that with the media today. We know that they're not uh, nonpartisan. You know, we know that they're completely in the tank on the left. We saw the even you know some of the uh, data that came out that said 90% of the coverage of Trump is negative. I think it's much higher than that actually. Uh, but uh, so we know they're completely out of control now. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm experiencing some of this myself tonight as we're speaking. We have I have a writer, Lucian Wintrich, who uh, goes into the White House and uh, reports from Washington D.C. for the Gateway Pundit. Tonight he put up a post where. Uh, one of these victims in Florida, one of these young teens, and of course the media is pushing out all these teens now to uh, push out their, uh, you know, gun control. And uh, they're, you know, because uh, the, the the left has a history. Whenever an event happens, they bring out the the uh, victims and they use them as props to get what they want. So this is what is exactly happening in Florida, which was a tragedy. And it was, I mean, it's just the worst thing. It's the worst story you can report on. But what happened was tonight, Lucian reported on one of these uh, teens who uh, was on the air saying his te- his father is in the FBI, and then there's video of him, and it looks like he's practicing his lines. Yeah, so I Lucian, see this. Lucian put this up, and i got to tell you guys, I might get kicked off of Twitter for this. Hmm. 
We reported the truth on this. The guy said it himself, but the truth is too offensive to the left. So you can't ever question the left. And especially if someone is a victim of a crime, you can't even question them, according to the left. We're supposed to believe everything they say and that they are suddenly an expert. So this is what we're dealing with tonight. The left is on, I mean, it's on Richter on Twitter, this story, and the left is continuing to attack us tonight. And I actually had a friend just text me, Mike Cernovich, and he says, Jim, I think you're going to get kicked off Twitter for this. I wrote him back. I said, Mike, it's the truth. The story is there's nothing. I mean, it's absolutely true. And Mike says, yeah, I know. It doesn't matter. And I actually put out a tweet a little bit ago before I came on where Andrew Breitbart said, you know, the truth is not, I think he said, the truth is not a crime. The truth is just a truth. And so anyway, it's just, yeah, the truth isn't mean. It's just the truth. The truth, yeah, that's right. So anyway, it's just, but I violated one of the rules on the left, you know, the sacred left, where if you challenge anyone who's been through any tragedy, then you're an evil, awful person. So it's going to be a crazy night, guys. You know, I've got to tell you, Jim, we have been put in YouTube jail. We've been censored. There's so much that has happened to us. We are constantly having to defend our position, our platform. We've had organized attacks against us to our sponsors of our program. We've had, the list goes on and on and on. And as a matter of fact, you know, even some legal measures against us, you know, and which is just nearly debilitating, you know. I've got to tell you, we have to have, seriously, a lawyer retained right now because of our, but so goes the way of the conservative, right? I mean. Right. This week I'm going to be speaking at CPAC. I'm really excited about this. We just found out today, by the way. Oh, great. We're actually sitting on a panel. Now, get this. I put together a panel in Washington, D.C. about a week and a half ago, and I invited some leaders in the conservative movement who I had heard were getting targeted by social media. During the election, the Gateway Pundit, and this was a study done by Harvard, and then also a study done by Columbia Journalism Review, which is the top journalism school in the country. They both did some post-election studies. They found that on the left, everybody went to their, they went to the mainstream media to get their news. CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, MSNBC, LA Times, Time Magazine, Newsweek. So that's where the left went to get their news. But during this election, it was the first time where conservatives said, no, I've had enough. I don't believe these guys. I'm sick of the abuse. And they went other places to get their news. And they went online. They went to online radio. They went to conservative radio, and they went to Fox News. And during the election, the Gateway Pundit, we're just a little itty-bitty blog. We were the fourth, according to Harvard, we were the fourth-ranked, most important conservative news source. Now, the left knows these things, and unfortunately, the people on the right don't. Our leadership on the right, I'm very disappointed in, because I don't think they understand what's happening today. And what is happening, and you just said it, 
is that conservatives are getting targeted all over the place. Since the election, our traffic, my Facebook traffic, I'm getting refunded. It used to be one-third of our traffic. And then we'd get a lot of Drudge links. Matt Drudge from the Drudge Report linked to our stories a lot. We'd get a third of our traffic from organic traffic. Today, our Facebook traffic's down to about one-fifteenth to one-thirtieth of our traffic. So it's basically gone nowhere. And it's gone down since the election. On the other hand, our traffic continues to increase every month. So we're basically going up in traffic, but our Facebook numbers are coming down. So I had some actuaries look at this, and we found that this isn't by accident. This is what the left is doing. They're shutting down conservative talk on social media because they know that it's effective. And because they know we have totally rejected the liberal media. And so there's several of people who are going to be speaking with me this week, including Pamela Geller, who used to be on the Shrugged. She speaks out against radical Islam. She's going to be on the panel. James O'Keefe is going to sit on the panel. And James is a superstar. And then we're having James Damore, the guy who spoke out at Google and said, wait a minute, let's look at some of these statistics. So again, he was pointing out the truth in some studies, and he got fired for it because he was speaking out against whatever the agenda, the feminists, or whatever the heck is going on there. So it's a great panel, and we're going to talk about how the left is shutting us down, guys. They're doing the tactics like you just mentioned. They're taking us to court. They're shutting down our traffic at Twitter. They're shutting down our traffic on Facebook. And they're trying to silence us because they know they can't argue it anymore. They know. They're through arguing. They don't have any policies at work, and they understand this. And so they've decided the best way to fight us is to just shut us down. So I'm going to be speaking on a panel Friday at CPAC. I'm pretty excited about that because this is really the most important issue, I think, facing the conservative movement today. Absolutely, and CPAC is a great event. We were there one time like six years ago. It's just been a while. At the periphery there, but, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Jim, I want to ask you this. I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk again. Oh, please. We really want you to come back. I didn't mean to over-talk you. Before the midterm elections, but right now, if the midterm elections were held today or this week, how do you think they'd play out? You know, that's kind of hard to say. Now, I'd like to be positive, of course. I think in a couple more months, like I said earlier, I think things are going to look even better for conservatives. I think what's going to happen is the truth. More and more of the truth is going to leak out about this Russia investigation. And I think that the economy will continue to improve, and people are really going to feel that in their pocketbook. And I think with each month that goes by, Trump gets more sympathy votes because people wake up and see how just unhinged this media is. So I think that favors Republicans. On the other hand, though, we saw a couple elections here in the past year or so where the Democrats, they went out in force. They were all voting. So Republicans are going to have to do something to get the enthusiasm up, and let's hope they can do it. I don't know if I have much faith in the party, but I do have faith that Donald Trump could do some things. So we'll see. I think the Senate, I do think conservatives, just the way it looks right now, Republicans should pick up a couple of seats, but the House is in jeopardy. Yeah, and 
uh, everybody wants to look at this uh, midterm elections through historical lenses, but we are uh, in a time unlike any other time in history with the right. president, unlike any other president. So I'm optimistic as well. Uh, Jim, I want to just ask you this real quick. Do you agree with President Trump that we should take the public funding away from uh, PBS and and other the the public broadcasting companies that don't have to to play by the standards that other media establishments do? Uh, absolutely, no hesitation, right? Yeah. You, know, you guys gotta believe that. Uh, you know, I'm, we're getting attacked quite a bit uh, this year, and uh, it seems to pick up. But uh, the uh, public broadcasting, public radio, they'll they'll do an article on us, and so you know it's it's kind of bad when they do an article. But what what we see is. Uh, we, we get some uh, a service that provides us when people talk about us on TV and the radio. And when public radio talks about us, I mean, that's 50 channels right there where they're smearing us all over the country. Of course, they never give us a fair shot. And, you know, so they do this with everything. Uh, they do this with the right all the time. I don't know why we've been funding any of it. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it shouldn't be funded. I don't think it ever should have been funded. Boy, I agree. Um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope that uh, they get the money uh, taken away. Fantastic Absolutely. answer. Jim, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us, folks. Go to thegatewaypundant.com on Twitter, at Gateway Pundit. Jim Hoff, the editor-in-chief there, a great guest. Bookmarker's website, hour. man. It is, it is essential reading. Jim, thank you. Uh, Thanks, guys. Man, so you, good to be you, with you. It's it's great to it's great to, to have you on, Joe. We'll talk with you soon. All, right. All right, sounds good. We will be back after this quick network break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Stay tuned. edition of the Hagman Report, President's Day edition 2018. That's right. Spring is on the way, right? Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for supporting us, supporting our endeavors, our investigative work, our, our reporting. Of course, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, I want to thank them for carrying our, our video feed and broadcasting right here, Global Star Radio Network. Go to HagmanReport.com to watch this this program live. That's HagmanReport.com. Watch it live. And of course, archived on YouTube. Also, you can listen to it live via Global Star and as, as in Blog Talk Radio as well. Multiple venues, uh, millions of, uh, I think it was 1.5 million downloads on one platform alone last month. So thank you so much on that. 1.6 actually. Um, and, and I want to thank our sponsor as well, davincimeat.com slash Hagman. That's davincimeat.com slash Hagman. Hey, if you've got a need for an office, let's say you're working in, uh, I don't know, let's say you're based in Phoenix, but you need to go to New York, Los Angeles, or wherever, davincimeat.com slash Hagman. Uh, davinci, I'm sorry, davincimeat.com slash Hagman. That's davincimeat.com slash Hagman. davincimeat.com slash Hagman. That, uh, uh, that's where to go to arrange if you need office space for a meeting, for a conference. There it is right there on your screen. It's davincimeet.com slash Hagman. Also in the program description box for the show notes for today. And uh, don't forget as well, speaking of uh, meeting places, have you registered yet for Occupy 2018? 
That's going to be in Canton, Ohio, Occupy 2018. If you haven't done so, we're going to be speaking there. I'm going to be talking a lot about the coup that's taking place in America. And that's going to be my topic of conversation. I'm looking forward to meeting all of you in Canton, Occupy 2018, April 20, 21, and 22. Join luminaries such as Dave Dobbenmeyer and, and many others, Russ Dizdar and, and uh, uh, Bill Federer, my goodness, and, and uh, even John Robertson is going to be there. Go figure, right? They let anyone in. They let anyone in. Well, our next guest, hey, um, I am, uh, I just, I, I, I absolutely am a, enthralled with police history, you know, history of police departments, history of police. I absolutely, as a matter of fact, I operated a website of unsolved homicides. I work unsolved homicides. I've worked unsolved homicides, cold case homicides for 30 years in the private sector as a consultant to uh, police agencies. And with us today, with us right now is a gentleman who's written a couple of books and is working on a third and I can't wait to review his this book Unsolved Cold Case Homicides of Law Enforcement Officers this is going to be fantastic his name is James Boltima uh, I'm sorry if I can get this right right James Boltima a very interesting man who uh who's got a lot, who's done a lot of work with respect to research for cold case homicides and such. Uh, without any further ado, let's bring Jim Boltima. Jim, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And here you're talking about history. Obviously, that's that's my subject. I love it, too. So couldn't well, ask for two better guys to talk about it, I guess. You know, you've got a, you've got a, I'll tell you what, um, if you don't mind, uh, because this is the first time on air, can you just tell our audience a little bit, a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are and sure. kind of what you're doing? Okay. Well, I've been a cop from almost day one, it seems. My uncle was a cop, and when I was just a little kid and growing up, I said, yeah, I want to do that someday. So I went into the military during the Vietnam War. I went to Vietnam, but I was an air policeman, a security police, like a VMPs, but the Air Force is security police, and Got an early out of that to join LAPD, and and I joined LAPD even though I'm from Michigan because I love I love uh, LA, and it was the best. It is the best police department out there, and so I did uh, 25 years there, uh, working a lot of different jobs, but a lot of time in the streets. And after that, uh, did documentary films, and mostly I just write, 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 write. No, <laughs> and I'll tell I'm you, excited you're, you're about some of yeah. You're, you're a great writer, and, and you've got a, you've got a book coming out, and, and I want to thank you for the advance uh, review copy. Um, it, it, that's unsolved cold case homicides of law enforcement officers. I'm pretty excited to read that. That's gonna when's that due? Uh, when does that due out for uh, publication? Right, it comes out on Police Memorial Day, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners know is May 15th. So May right. 15th, I'll be in Washington D.C. Uh, Joining the uh, police memorial week that goes to the activities that go on in Washington D.C. and I thought that was the appropriate time. Fantastic. All right. Well, you know, we we've got so much to talk about with respect to current events as well as his, history. But uh, in terms of current events, the Parkland shooting, the school shooting, um, and I know you've got some kind of 
personal interconnectivity with this, or at least professional interconnectivity of this. What are your thoughts on what we saw take place down in Parkland, in Broward County, Florida, last week with respect to the uh, school shooting, another one, and uh, uh, what's taking place? Well, I mean, it's just so tragic that that had to happen. And really, there on this one, there, there's so many indicators that unfortunately point to this Cruz should have been taken into custody long before he was pulling triggers in that school. If you don't mind, I'd like to just mention, I think it really starts with the frontline troops, the, the police officers working the streets in this nation, and, and it comes down to you come across all sorts of people, but sometimes you come across people that really, there's no question, they're disturbed, they have problems, uh, maybe you got a radio call because of that. But they give us tools in our little tool bag, and that's that 72-hour psychiatric hold that we have the ability to do. And we just don't throw them in a mental institution. It's, it, you go through the channels. You see a doctor. Uh, you go through the process. You get them into the system. And from that point on, then the doctors and the specialists can take over and make a decision whether this person should be held even longer. But really, I think a lot of police officers, and maybe even myself included, you sort of shy away from those because it takes up most of your shift. It's it's not like going out and arresting bank robbers and all the exciting things we do, but it's so important, and I just think that is something that departments really have to stress, is really be on the lookout for this type of person that has this makeup that uh, that could be a, a danger to, to people out there and himself or herself. Yeah, and we saw so many indicators with this case from not only the disciplinary actions inside the school, but also local law enforcement being called to his house 39 times over seven years. And then, really interesting in this, we have the two tips given to the FBI, one from a YouTube comment he made saying he wanted to be a professional shooter to somebody close to the shooter calling the FBI just a few weeks before the shooting took place, giving them the information that he had a desire to kill and that a school shooting was uh, a possibility of things to happen. And the FBI dropped the ball. We've seen a lot of backlash from the president to the governor of Florida saying that this is the uh, failure of the FBI do you, it seems like everybody failed this kid, whether it's, uh, you know, his own circle, the school staff, the law, local law enforcement, and especially the FBI. If there is a majority well, of blame to be placed here, who do you put that on? Well, being a cop, you hate to second guess it, but, you know, you put that badge on, it comes with the turf. You're going to be second guessed. And on this one, all the indicators are law enforcement really, and I have to say, they really blew it, especially with the FBI. With all due respect, maybe they're overworked, maybe they have a lot of cases, but hey, look, when you get somebody calling and saying uh, that the guy has a gun, he has a desire to kill people, he's erratic, he, he posts things on, on the media that are very disturbing, and uh, he wants to be a professional school shooter, I mean, come on. I don't see how the FBI gets that one off. I really don't. It is just... You just yeah. have to be there, but they they yeah. had these clues and these hints, and they should have acted on them. Well, you know, it's it's there. Look, we've talked about this, and um, uh, obviously, you know, we've got constitutional protections. 
uh, obviously you cannot arrest someone for a thought crime or um, we we can pull in the First Amendment freedom of speech discussion but this went far, 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 far beyond anything covered by anything um, uh, like a constitutionally protected speech and it went the indicators were, were so were, were so prevalent this was a failure in in my view of uh, of the uh, of oversight whether whether it was the FBI or whether it was the health um, care industry you know the mental uh, what do you call that uh, the CPS or the agencies who t- oversee this uh, operation right. down there so I mean, um, this to me, this is not a gun problem. This is a process. This shows a systemic rot uh, or problems, I should say, with with the system. Whether it be the uh, uh, and I, I put the blame more on the the state agencies of oversight. You know, the the foster care, the mental health agencies, because what didn't Joe? Didn't they have a mental health worker in that house? I don't know, a year ago or something. I, Jim. Oh, I'm sure there was. It, it just, it just reeks of uh, failure all around. But nonetheless, it's not a gun problem in my view. I think one of the things law enforcement can do is better train their officers on the indicators of somebody that has psychiatric problems. Things, little things to look for and, and how to handle it. Maybe they're doing it really, uh, strongly these days, but from what I've seen here, it looks like everybody needs to go back to school on this, from the FBI down to the regular street cop. So it's just frustrating to – this is definitely one, and we we hear of so many of these shootings, but this one we really had an opportunity, we being law enforcement, to to get Cruz off the street. He should have been off the street. It's sad, but that's the way it is. Absolutely it is. Uh, what do you attribute – the rise in this behavior, these school shooters. We we were talking about how in 1999 Columbine was really, uh, at least in my memory, the, the you know first of many uh, huge school shootings that we've seen unfold, and they seem to have become more commonplace in our society today. Some people are blaming mental illness. Other people are blaming society. I say it could be a spiritual problem. What do you attribute this increase in violence? Uh, it's just people copying copycats, that sort of thing. I think that's one of the contributing factors, is especially look at all these uh, suspects, people that are doing these shootings. Most of them are, are under 19 years old of age, and they read about it, and they have a mental deficiency, so they want to they want to be famous in their own little mind. That's why they post all these things on social media, drawing attention to themselves really talking out to maybe be stopped. But I, I just think it's the copycat thing. Kids think it's cool, some obviously, and that's why I think you have an in, increase in that. Yeah. And maybe yeah. On, yeah. on the other half, like you said, the state and the, and the different institutions we have for mental illness to step up and help curb this problem. Yeah, you know, um, that and, and I, I, I believe as well, I believe that the, um, the assault on, on the family unit, the cohesive family unit, the biblical family unit, the nuclear family, the lack of, I mean, in, in terms of the Parkland shooting, this kid was a product of the foster 
home system, I believe. Uh, you know, it just, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's just sad when you look at how far devolved our society has gone. And you've witnessed this as a police officer in Los Angeles, LAPD. By the way, our guest is James Boltima, uh, at LAPD History on Twitter. And, and Bob and Maggie, I know you're listening. And Bob, uh, follow James Boltima on Twitter at LAPD History. So, uh, let's, let's talk, if you don't mind, uh, t- tell us some, some stories about your time at LAPD. Uh, you've got to have some, like, crazy interesting stuff that, that you've gone through. Can, can we, can well, we kind of go back in time a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you, you talk to any cop, they're going to have stories that, uh, they'll keep you going for days. But, I, uh, interestingly, I was involved with the, uh, the King incident, the riots. Uh, Stacy Kuhn, one of my best friends, Stacy Kuhn, to remind your listeners, was the sergeant that made the order for the officers to use their batons on, on King, uh, that night in Foothill Division after that pursuit and stop. He's the one that ordered him to, to do what he did. And remember, remember that when that went to court, it came back not guilty for those officers because they were doing exactly what they were trained to do. So I have a connection there with Stacy, uh, Mark Furman, another good friend that I worked with, uh, of course, with the O.J. Simpson case. So that really well, that, that, uh, that, brought that had things. to be man. The Simpson case, uh, the uh, was it was it as crazy on the inside as it appeared to be up from the outside. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was, okay. uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. <sighs> wow, okay. Um, yeah, yeah that, that, that whole, uh, my goodness, um, from the, from the murder to the chase in the Bronco to, to the aftermath of the verdicts and it, it, it I, you could, you could probably write a book on your experiences from that alone for crying out loud. And several people have approached me to do just that. I don't know. It just, there's other things I want to talk about, but uh, the, Tom Lang, he was uh, he's also a good friend of mine. Uh, he was a lead detective with Tom Van Adder on that O.J. Simpson case. And, and back, we did a documentary, and that we included that and did a lot of interviews with people like Tom Lang. And he made it so succinct, so clear that O.J. Simpson committed those murders. And he talks about the blood from the, on the gate to the, to the car, to this house, he said, right even to the, to his bed, there was blood evidence that, uh, made it very clear that O.J. Simpson was the suspect in that. So when you talk to people like this, uh, and, and you see their point of view, the people that are closest to it, it really, uh, you really get an idea what it was. And, and one more thought is those attorneys, Bailey and the rest of that group, Cochran, their whole objective wasn't to prove his innocence or guilt so much as it was to put the officers on trial and nitpick every little thing that they did. Some things, obviously, they're human beings. They did maybe a few things wrong, but that was how they handled that. And it's unfortunate we lost track of what we're doing here. Is he guilty or not guilty of the, of the murder of those two individuals? So, yeah, I got you know, pretty close yeah. to it. <laughs> you you make a good point because this was not about justice. This was a, a big throwing the uh, police under the bus uh, situation. 
uh, the crazy stuff, crazy times. Um, I, but I, I want to ask you one question because you're friends with Furman and Tom, uh, Lang. Uh, I just the the one question I had because I, I took a I took a forensics uh, course in Corning, and you probably know James McDonald, uh, the blood spatter evidence analysis or analyst from uh, uh, teacher from right. Corning. Uh, okay, so right. I, I th- uh, so I spent some time with him, um, and, and we looked at the evidence from the O.J. Simpson crime scene. But my question, if you know this answer, because man, I've been this has been bothering me for like years. Was the blood on the back gate? Um, was that did, did that have evidence of of the? Uh, I'm trying to remember the preservative for blood that you know comes from a test tube. Was that contaminated? Or was that not contaminated? The way I understand it from Tom, that it was not contaminated. That, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. That's, that's how I recall him talking about that, which turned out to be a pretty big piece of evidence, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and that kind of, I, I, that always bothered me. So I wanted to ask somebody who was kind of in that, uh, uh, arena. And, and thanks for answering. Thanks for entertaining that question for me. Our guest is James Bultima at LAPD, LAPD History on Twitter. That's LAPD History on Twitter. Um, and of course, the author of a couple of books, one coming out, which I just can't wait to read. I knew you uh, love this. The, oh, this man. Just from the title. I am so excited about this. We have, a uh, um, the new book, Unsolved cold case homicides of law enforcement officers and as my dad said he actually had a website that um, dealt with these cases as homicides, well. but and there yeah. are a few here in our local town that well, we let's talk about your book uh, coming out let's talk do you mind I mean can we talk about it because no, it sounds fascinating I mean it's near to my art I just today I sent it off to the printer so it doesn't get uh, yeah it's right on, wow. on my mind it, and the thing that really upsets me the most it's really what I call a national tragedy is that these officers that did the ultimate sacrifice killed in the line of duty by some scumbags, and the suspects get away. But this country had no listing of them. Sure, each department says, yeah, so-and-so was killed in 1964, and but the suspects, there was no national register of all these uh, officers. So I had to start from scratch. For two years, I did nothing but research these names and try to put together a compendium list of of these officers, which I did. But the other thing is, is I took 92 of those stories, and we haven't discussed how many there are. There's a lot. But I took 92 of those stories and put a face, put a personality, put them, uh, who are they? These names inscribed on monuments across this nation. Who are these people? And so I wrote about 92 of them, and they got real close to me. It's it's hard when you wake up every day and you start writing about officers that are you know are going to be killed because of the subject you're writing on. But you also feel good that you're you're bringing this up for people to talk about again. I mean, there's cases uh, that are being solved of unsolved police homicides because. It's brought up again. Maybe new uh, uh, technology, especially DNA, is a big help. So uh, those are some of the highlights of the book. I think telling the story of these 92 officers, putting a list together of, of and if you don't mind, I'd like to give you some numbers. Oh, please. Fire away. Man. Yeah. So there's over 20,000 officers killed in the line of duty. 
uh, since the beginning of policing. And of those 20,000 I came up with, it's I'm still researching different, it's a long story, but let's just say for right now there's about 1,200 officers that have been killed in the line of duty and the suspects got away. And that's once again since uh, policing got started. And that's the national tragedy, that they were killed, the suspects get away. And the other big thing that is close to my heart is the survivors, the families, the loved ones, the people left behind after these officers are killed. That's that's really a sad part of this whole thing. It's, it's the police survivors and how they have to deal with the rest of their lives, knowing their loved one was killed and and no one has, has paid for the crime. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. And somebody needs to write about this. And thank you for doing that. You know, you think these would be the uh, you know the highest priority cases in these departments that they would want to have solved, yep. especially uh, one of their own uh, who has fallen. And I'm surprised that that you were able to compile a whole book of uh, unsolved law enforcement homicides. Um, you think that, as I said, these would be the first and only cases that these officers would take on until they they solve them but what are some of the leading causes of these cases going unsolved well each generation had their own let's go way back in time to uh, let's say the early 1900s when you had a lot of transients and hobos and they would go hop a train and go from city to city and you had law enforcement officers railroad police that would work the the yards chasing these people away and so many officers in that era were killed by these uh, hobos and transients and they'd hop on a train and then they'd be off to the next city and never be heard of again so you can see that makes a little bit of sense during prohibition all these people that were uh, producing alcohol illegally the the stills out in the middle of the woods and or what have you and law enforcement officers would come across that so many officers were killed during prohibition that was uh, in the 20s, it was the, we had the most officers killed in the history of this country within in the 20s, and prohibition had a lot to do with that. And then as you bring wow. it up closer, it's gangs and it's uh, that sort of thing more in the future. So each generation, uh, as we go through the book, had different uh, things they had to deal with, and and a lot of those, unfortunately, the officers gave their lives uh, enforcing the laws at that time. Interesting. Okay, so, so those are some interesting facts. Um, we, we have one unsolved. We, we have one officer here in our area that uh, his homicide, it was originally classified as a suicide. His homicide remains unsolved. And uh, um, I'll tell you what, it, it, I've seen what it does to the family. Uh, I've seen what it does to the community and even the department when this when this takes place. But your book, Unsolved Cold Case Homicides of Law Enforcement Officers, at the printers right now. This is so exciting. Um, and, and it's going to, when do you expect it to be on the shelf or available for purchase? Uh, we're going to release it uh, on May 15th, Police right. Memorial Day. Police Memorial Day. I just want to kind of drive that point home because we, this, especially today, don't you think that, that with, with how the, the police departments and the police officers are getting hammered, we need, uh, we need, we need some, yeah, we didn't even get a chance to really get into the anti-police sediment yeah. that we see in our political and media establishment in this country. And, uh, Jim, we'll have to have you back on to, to further talk about this because it seems as though the police are being pitted as 
enemies of the people. We know there are abuses uh, in, in many cases, but overall, you know, the majority of police officers are good people, but we're seeing them being attacked both physically and by the media. So we'll have to get you back on to, to get into this more. Where can people go, by the way, for your book that's coming out? Uh, website? Where can they go? Sure. Uh, it's uh, Police History by James Bultima dot com. So Police History by James Bultema. It's B U L T E M A. That's right. my author's website where all the books are listed. We will link to that, and I apologize for putting a long E in the in your last name, but uh, James Baltima, uh, thank you so much for your gift of time tonight. We will be um, promoting, of course, at LAPD History on Twitter. We'll be promoting your book and website. May God bless you, sir. Thank you so very much for your, for your gift of time and for what you've done for the service uh, as a police officer. We really appreciate it. You're more than welcome, and thank you for having this great program. I appreciate that, too. Good All right, night. my friend. God bless you. Folks, we're going to be right back. Network break. Next up, Peter Barry Chaka. And, hey, by the way, if you didn't get a chance, Greg Jackson, uh, article on HagmanReport.com. And, uh, hey, just keep uh, things in mind. Barry, Peter Barry Chaka coming up. Thank you so much, James Baltimore. Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. Folks, go to HagmanReport.com. Look, bookmark Hagman Report because that is the central hub to everything. HagmanReport.com. You got that? Hagman Report. Watch the show. Listen to the show. Read the articles by Greg Jackson and by our next guest, Peter Barry Chalka. He's got his own real estate on HagmanReport.com. Premier writer for the Hagman Report. As that's Peter Barry Chaka, who happens to be our next guest. Before we get to him, folks, remember, Occupy 2018. Okay, Occupy 2018, what's that? That's a conference where Joe, myself, John Robertson, and Lady the Studio Dog, maybe, if I could talk her in, she, I'm working with her agent right now. But we'll be, we'll be talking at this conference. Hey, come join us in Canton, Ohio. Register now. Space is limited. Occupy 2018, Canton, Ohio, April 20th through the 22nd. Be there. That's the place to be. Rub elbows with people like Russ Dizdar and Coach Dave. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, heavy, powerful hitters there. That's Occupy 2018. Also, Make a note of Greg Jackson's article on Hagman Report, as well as all of Peter Barry Chalka's articles on HagmanReport.com. And I want to say one more thing. One more thing. Well, more than one more thing, but one more important thing. And that is this. Thank you for your support. Thank you for those people who have joined us on Patreon. Now, of course, if you support us via PayPal or via the mail, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, Patreon members, of course, if you support us on Patreon, there are some gifts there. We're still working this out. It's like, kind of like turning an aircraft carrier in the ocean. But we're working some things out, and we want to make this the best product. You know, the best product for you, and because we we appreciate so much your support. I was talking to both Pastor Langford and Steve Hill this morning, independent of one another, and... um. Just thank you for everything that you do for us. 
we realize that the reason I mentioned them is because I was telling them, you know, we've got the best audience in the world. We really do. And that's you. That's each and every one of you. Most loyal of any, I believe, and the most, uh, uh, most intelligence, intelligent audience and, and someone to talk about, uh, or someone who can confirm that, of course, is our next guest, Joe. And then let's bring him on, Peter Barry Chauka at P Chauka on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter. That's right. Stalk him on Twitter. P Chauka. Joe. Yeah, and this is a great new addition to the Hagman Report. Each Monday in the third hour, we are going to be joined by Peter Chauka by popular demand from our audience. So, Peter, it's great to have you back on this Monday. So much has happened since last Monday when we had you on. Right. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Doug. It's great to see you. And also, hello to Eric and John this evening. And, uh, yes, it's, this was our, going to be our formal launch day for my, the start of my weekly appearances until I get the pink slip, but hopefully that won't come for a while. Um, <laughs> no, no, and, they're not pink, they're yellow. And, and I got one today. Uh, I'm kidding, but. Uh, yeah. But, uh, by the way, joining me on this, uh, broadcast tonight are the two kitties, um, Lulu and Biggie. Th- th- those Lulu. aren't kitties. No, th- th- those the cats. are cats. Lulu's over here, and then there's Biggie, and on the, one of the monitors is a portrait of Biggie. Well, those are pumas. No, te- technically, they are not kitties, they're cats. They're both rescues. Lulu is, uh, seven and a half. And Biggie is, we don't know exactly how old Biggie is, but he's probably about four. Wow. So they uh, they run the household pretty much, you know how it is. Oh, well, yeah. Now, if they meow, you're going to have to give them sag uh, wages, I think, right? Isn't that? <laughs> anyway. Well, Lulu is a very quiet cat, uh, and Biggie has never quite perfected his meow. He kind of squeaks and croaks. Sounds like a frog at times, but... Uh, they've they've enjoyed their catnip, so they'll probably just be resting there for a while. Well, we've had uh, our catnip, uh, Peter, uh, both of us uh, here on camera, <laughs> and uh, you know it doesn't taste too bad. You got to kind of like uh, chewing tobacco. But anyway, uh, all right, let's yeah. So welcome to the debut of Peter Verichowka, and I'm so excited about this. By the way, you've got some tremendous articles up on the Hagman Report uh, with respect to the the. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where you want to start, but with respect to well, the, I'd like to start with the one that uh, I put up yesterday about Barry Farber. In his 59th year on radio, Barry Farber continues to broadcast words of wisdom. And I uploaded a similar article to American Thinker also yesterday. And the advantage there is American Thinker has a built-in very large audience, and it's also uh accessible by Google News. If you put in search terms, the articles will pop up there. But uh, the article at American Thinker was edited, and I actually prefer the version at the Hagman Report, and that's the one that I tweeted out. And fortunately, my tweet linking to the article was retweeted by Sean Hannity of Fox News yesterday, which considerably increased the page views, I would imagine. And I was really thrilled by that because I wanted this article to get uh, as much play as possible because of its subject, Barry Farber. And that actually gets me into talking a little bit, as I wanted to do without dwelling on it, uh, to kind of reintroduce or introduce myself to the Hagman Report audience tonight, now that we'll be uh, doing this every week on Monday night. I think it's very uh, apropos. I think, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll keep it short, though. I'm, I'm not going to 
turn into a narcissistic uh, me, mine, and I routine here. But uh, actually, it, it, it involves Barry Farber, what I was going to talk about my background, because as I probably mentioned before in one of the broadcasts, I was a very early adopter of media and of an interest in news and popular culture. And the media reason is because uh, my family, my late father, was a small entrepreneur. He had a mom-and-pop store in a neighboring city, which he originally started to sell radios, and which were the dominant medium in the 1940s after World War II. But shortly after he opened up his store and his shop, uh, television came in. It exploded on the scene in 1947 and 48, and he was in on the ground floor of television retail sales and service. So the benefit to me when I finally came along a few years later was that we always had a state-of-the-art television, uh, a really nice antenna on the roof to, of our house to receive uh, very clearly New York television station signal. We had the first color television probably in the town I lived in. We had the first stereo. And my parents also saw to it that my budding interest in technology of the era, a long time ago and primitive compared to today, uh, you know, they it, <clears throat> they helped me out in that by getting me the first tape recorder in 1959 so I could record favorite radio programs. And meanwhile, my late mother was a great fan of radio. She had a, a small radio on top of the refrigerator in the kitchen, and she'd be listening to New York radio stations while she was doing the ironing or other chores. And she had a pretty interesting taste in music and in early talk radio, which consisted largely of uh, announcers announcing music with newscasts on the hour. And uh, so I picked up her interest in radio, and her interest in music, and of course rock music, rock and roll, came along uh, at the end of the 50s, and I got very much interested in that. So I was really very interested in and devoted to radio, media, television, and then uh, politics and news of the day. So in uh, now to bring Barry Farber into this, in 1965, as a high school student growing up in that town, which was accessible to New York media, I discovered Barry Farber, who at that point was in his fifth year of hosting a talk show on WOR AM 710 New York, a super station, a clear channel station, meaning that at night the signal of that station could be heard all over the East Coast and even beyond the Mississippi River. So he had a, a tremendously large audience uh, and, you know, this was the most competitive media market in the country, as it still is, New York, number one. And he had started on uh, radio with his own show in 1960. Before that, he was a producer of an early talk show, the Tex and Jinx show. And the, the key producer there was William Sapphire, who uh, died within the last decade. He went on to a very auspicious career in politics, media, and then writing an op-ed for the New York Times, as well as a column on language, and he was a conservative. And Barry Farber is also a conservative, having grown up in North Carolina, and he is just um, an outstanding individual. But the way, uh, to make a long story short here, 12 days ago, 
I got a direct message on Twitter from an old friend of mine, Celia Farber, who I first met in 1993, and she is one of Barry Farber's two daughters. And Celia is a, a, a very accomplished journalist and author in her own right, and also a very courageous investigative journalist who for uh, 25 years or so covered uh, the war on AIDS, HIV, or the HIV AIDS, AIDS PSYOP, as she calls it, and I agree with that that definition. P- Peter, and, if I can interject this, because people are gonna, people can can kind of uh, meld what you're saying in what you're saying now with the article that you wrote, November fifteenth, twenty seventeen. It was forty years ago. Uh, I, the title escapes me here. Uh, oh, there it is. It was forty years ago is. when my suspicion about fake news were confirmed. Your background is contained in that article, and what you're kind of saying now and about to say, and haven't said it yet, can be is documented in that article at HagmanReport.com. And I think it's so important for people to get your background, your full background, with the you start beginning HIV and AIDS and stuff. Your cancer research and everything you've been reporting on is just fantastic. I wanted to mention that I didn't want to interrupt you, but I figure if people know know this, they can link or they can go right to it, and that's uh, at HagmanReport.com. And of course, uh, uh, your background and your, what, you're, what, you're, what you've said and what you're going to be saying is uh, connected there. I'm sorry for interrupting. But no, I, I appreciate that uh, that reference point. It's very valuable, and in fact, I'll mention that uh, at this point I've I've written I think somewhere between 80 and 90 articles that have been published at the Hagman Report <clears throat> since last July all of them are accessible for free reading online and they will be more or less in perpetuity here and to find them listeners and viewers simply have to go to hagmanreport.com and on the right hand column under my name Peter Chauka uh, is a list of the four most recent articles and then there's kind of a a delicate arrow at the bottom, and if you click the right-hand arrow, it will take you back to uh, about 11 or 12 pages listing all, maybe even more now, listing all of the previous articles. And uh, I like to think that there's still currency in many of those because a lot of work goes into them, and uh, there they are for people to read and, and hopefully get something out of, uh, you know, even today and tomorrow. By the way, I had to. I took note, Doug, when you said earlier that uh, you put about two or three hours of show prep into every hour on the air, and uh, I've got to work on that myself because for these hour-long shots that I've got here now, I wind up uh, starting thinking about it and doing some work on it a day or two before, and of course, the day of today is uh, is pretty much devoted to it, and I feel like I'm cramming for a, a college exam at the, at the tail end of it because there's so much in the news and, you know, we want to be right up to date. And sometimes stories are breaking, news is breaking moments before airtime. Yep. So it's an interesting challenge, but, you know, I appreciate having the deadline and the discipline. But, um, okay, back to Barry yep. Farber. Twelve days ago, Celia Farber uh, sent me a message and asked me if I would like to be a guest on Barry's radio show that evening with four hours notice and I said absolutely I mean this was a dream to do the Barry Farber show I actually came close to uh, to meeting him and getting to know him years earlier but it, it never happened it never came together so uh, this was a fantastic opportunity so I was on his program that night for a half hour to talk about the uh, Nunez memo and uh, he is still broadcasting 
on CRN Digital HD Radio, which is on the Internet, on podcasts, iTunes, and also on certain cable television systems, the audio on cable TV around the country. But uh, when I, as I got back in touch with Barry, and then I also was invited to do his show for the full hour six days later, uh, of course, out of curiosity, I mean, I knew a lot about him anyway because I had been listening to him since 1965, and he was very influential to me at that point uh, as a uh, as a young person trying to figure out what was going on with the world, and um, to to sh- to show how highly he's regarded in his field. In 2002, Talkers Magazine, which is the Bible of the talk radio and television business set out to come up with a list of the 25 greatest American talk show hosts of all time, 25 on radio, 25 on television. And they put Barry Farber in their top 10 at number 9, uh, which is fantastic. If it were up to me, I would have put him at least a few notches higher, but that's pretty cool, you know, in the top 10. And also very cool is that to this day now, this is, he's now into his 59th year of broadcasting talk radio shows on a variety of stations and networks and the only break he ever took of any length of time was in 1977 when he ran for mayor of New York City in a very important year there when the two major candidates or the two Democrat candidates, that being a Democrat city, were Mario Cuomo who went on to become governor a few years later and Ed Koch who won the election that year. Koch and Cuomo uh, shared 92% of the vote in the general election. But Barry Farber, after he came in second in the Republican primary running as a conservative, he continued to run in the fall on the conservative party ticket, which is very small, so he didn't have a chance of winning. But it was a very interesting campaign, and I posed the question in my article, uh, what if he had been elected mayor and had established himself on the national scene as a political figure. And I couldn't think of a better option that could have happened uh, 41 years ago if Barry Farber somehow could have gotten elected mayor. So uh, I set out after having some emails with Barry and off uh, radio phone conversations and realizing what a, what a, a gold mine this person is. I mean, he is literally... Uh, probably the last man standing who was there at that point in talk radio starting in 1960 and is still with us today, still has a very clear memory. He writes an article every week for World Net Daily, which he has done for the last nine years, like clockwork. I think 440 articles now in his archive. I link to that. And, of course, he does his nightly program for an hour on weeknights. So uh, I, I just start... I just started doing some research, you know, there's a lot online about him. I knew a lot anyway, but I wanted to get the facts straight. And I was just so inspired by uh, reconnecting with who he is and and the mentor he's been to people, including myself, not having met him in person to this day, but he's been one of my mentors. He was one of Sean Hannity's mentors, and Sean has mentioned this publicly He mentioned it to me in a conversation, and it's why I think he tweeted or retweeted my article yesterday, because he goes way back with Barry Farber when he, Sean Hannity, as a young man, was growing up on Long Island uh, within earshot of New York City radio and was a great fan of Barry Farber's uh, 
probably in the late 60s and early 70s. So the, the story is just fantastic, and what I am looking forward to doing now with Barry Farber is getting together with him initially on the phone and hopefully later in person uh, this spring uh, to do a, an oral history with him because uh, he, he I would mention names to him of people I remember or I know of having studied the period as well of media, talk, radio, what was going on in the 50s, 60s, and politics, popular culture, etc., all of the people he's interviewed, I, I would mention some names, and of course, he comes out with anecdotes, with gold-plated anecdotes about working with these people, knowing them, interviewing them. I mean, this is just incredible, and I, I don't think he's ever, he has written some, he's written a number of books. One of them, which I don't have, might be semi-autobiographical, but I, I really want to interview him today, also for publication, again, in a shorter form interview to uh, to see what he's got to say about what we're going through now, because he's seen it all since 1960 and even before then. Oh, and I should also mention that he is uh, a, a world-class linguist. He had such a facility with foreign languages that he uh, eventually came to speak with fluency and understand 25 languages at least. Uh, it might even be 26 or more. And uh, one of the books he wrote is on the screen now, How to Learn Any Language. That book is still in print and available at Amazon. And the other book, uh, Barry Farber, Making People Talk, is no longer in print. And in fact, when I looked it up at Amazon, there were two hardcover copies selling for over $6,000 and over $9,000 each, not including shipping, which I think suggests uh, really the value that those that that book has today, so uh, you know quite a legend, I, I, quite a legend, huh? Wow, absolutely. He, he's and you know uh, there's a great quote that uh, that uh, I found. He he actually gave this to his uh, daughters when they turned the tables and interviewed him on his radio show, I believe, in 2014. And he said, "I quote: I would rather burn out than rust out." I'm one of those who will not retire, end quote. So I end my article by saying it's a great gift to all of us that Barry Farber continues to feel that way. Mm -hmm. So I would certainly recommend uh, anyone, please read this article at HagmanReport.com. And if you can, check out Barry Farber on the radio. He's on uh, five nights a week, uh, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern so he's on opposite the Hagman Report, but um, both the Hagman Report and the Barry Farber Show are available on podcasts. There you go. And his his audio podcast goes online at CRN. I link to these uh, these venues. Uh, they put his show online four minutes after it finishes airing, so one can always uh, get it there for downloading or for streaming, and it's well worthwhile. But just to wrap this segment up with a bow here, what I'm, what I'm, I started out trying to say in reintroducing myself is that one thing I hope to continue to bring to our get-togethers now on a weekly basis is a, uh, a, a broader perspective that might be available from many of your other guests who are just younger, which is not at all to put down what they are doing. They're doing primary reporting, primary source reporting, and uh, their perspective is extremely valuable. I'm wearing a different color hat at this point uh, with the longer view 
having paid uh, very close attention since, as I said, I think last week I was uh, really a young child. I started getting interested in the news uh, when I was, I think, in first grade. And I had the tools at my disposal, thanks to my late father with uh, the technology of the era, to be able to plug in to the media of the time, primitive as it was, and uh, and and turn on to talk radio when it blossomed in a nascent or embryonic way in the early 1960s. And it, I, I feel like I have such a deep appreciation for these talk radio pioneers. In fact, uh, one individual who left a comment at, uh, I believe it was last week's program when it went up on YouTube, and I talked a little bit about Barry Farber then, and he said something that was kind of... Uh, Offensive, and I actually wrote it down here, but I'm not finding it at the moment. But uh, oh, here he said, in response to I guess my talking about Barry Farber, he said, "Too much bowing and scraping. Just get on with it, man. This isn't a bromance." Now, normally I wouldn't give that kind of a comment, you know, the the time of day, but it does speak for a lot of people out there, I think, who are a history, they're a historical, they're anti-history. They seem to only care about the news of the day. You know, right now it's the Mueller investigation, the indictments, the Florida shootings, gun control. You know, fine. I'm interested in those issues too. And we talk about them, you know, until we're, we're very tired of them. And, but really, I think to get the full understanding of what it is we're going through now, and I've tried to make this connection in all, most of my appearances as well as in my articles is to look historically at where we're coming from, what went before. Obviously, if we don't pay attention to history and learn from it, we're going to keep repeating it. And in many ways, that's where, what we're doing now. So I love to bring in the historical aspects, and uh, you know, especially during the time that I've been alive, which is a long time now. So I'm trying to make positive use of that. We're, we're old, still, buddy. You, while you, I've still you got me. my marbles, you know, it's not that's not going to last forever. So that's... That's some of what I'm going to, you know, some of the experience I'm going to bring to it, but I'm not going to simply sit here and reminisce about the good old days, you know, every time we get Wait, together. But, 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 but you're right. Context is important because when you, when you look at what's happening today, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we've seen this before, and there's so much to learn. And people like who make comments, and I see those comments, you know, I mean, 200 uh, characters on, on social networking or however, whatever the limitation is. Today, people want the, the, the fast, the um, the surface level stuff. But, man, you, 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 look, you and I, I mean, we've been long uh, live long enough to kind of add context to things. And um, these people who are wet behind, still wet behind the ears and, and green behind the ears and are still green, and, um, you, you know, they don't have the uh, the depth of knowledge. And it's so important. So, you know, the hell with them. I don't care. Absolutely. You know. And, you, you know, even more recent history, well, not that recent. You know, I've been talking about, this Fox News series that's airing on Sunday nights for seven nights in a row. It's uh, the first seven episodes of what they hope will be a regular series called Scandalous, looking at political scandals of the past. So the first seven parts, and part five aired last night on Fox News, uh, is on the Clinton scandals through the impeachment of Bill Clinton in 1998 and 1999. So that was all happening exactly 20 years ago as we speak now. And I followed that 
that 13-month period from when the story broke of the Monica Lewinsky scandal until Bill Clinton was impeached in the House of Representatives and tried in the Senate. The trial occurred in early 1999, and then he was acquitted. He was not convicted. And I thought I knew <clears throat> pretty much uh, a lot that there was to know about that period. But this uh, seven-part series, five of which have shown now, have just reminded me how much I had forgotten. And it's it's just been an incredible series, a chronology beginning before the Clintons entered the White House and the scandals they were involved in with Whitewater and other things when Bill was governor of Arkansas for uh, a very long time and Hillary was doing her dirty business back then. And right now the program is up to the period of 1998 when it was really hitting the fan with the so-called Lewinsky scandal. And I'm reminded that Bill Clinton was absolutely guilty of perjury before a a grand jury and a a deposition, lying, which was a a felony. He was guilty of suborning perjury of, of other witnesses or potential witnesses. He was guilty of trying to pay off or bribe these witnesses and there was one other charge he's guilty of, I'm forgetting at the moment, and yet he was acquitted. And the reason it's very significant today is in all of the talk about the targeting of Donald Trump, and uh, by the way, Pat Buchanan had a great quote earlier today on this when he was on Sean Hannity's radio show, and I'm not seeing the quote which I wrote down at the moment, but he was confirming that uh, the knives have been out for Donald Trump, in effect, since even before he entered the White House. And, however, as, as talk of impeachment continues to grow, I forget how many Democrats now are on the record of supporting impeachment. I think, I think it might it even 60. be around 60 yeah. in the House of Representatives. Unbelievable. In the complete absence of ev- any evidence of an impeachable offense. But, you know, the connection that's, all, that's almost always made by the media and these Democrats is to look back to Richard Nixon. Because not coincidentally, in a a new poll which came out last week, uh, the American people put Richard Nixon at the absolute bottom in terms of approval rating of all United States presidents. Nixon is at the bottom. Guess who's number two at the bottom? Donald Trump. Uh, Number one is JFK, President John F. Kennedy. Number two is uh, Ronald Reagan. And number three, this is going to blow your mind, Barack Hussein Obama. Now, the connection, the reason I mentioned... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Well, you know, as much as you don't want to believe a poll like that, I think uh, it probably is believable because it's such a polarized country now. And and you do have this bromance for Hussein Obama out there among, you know... I mean, supposedly he's got a a 64% approval rating right now as a former president. But anyway, I don't want to dwell on that character. The reason I mentioned the uh, Clinton impeachment is Bill Clinton was actually impeached by the House of Representatives and tried in the U.S. Senate. Richard Nixon was not. Richard Nixon had articles of impeachment voted in the House Judiciary Committee, but he resigned before he could be actually impeached. And of course, he was never tried in the U.S. Senate. The previous president and the only other president to be impeached and tried in the Senate other than Bill Clinton was President Andrew Johnson, who took over after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And Johnson escaped conviction by one of a one-vote margin. 
in a, in a time when the Senate was smaller than it is now because there weren't as many United States states. Uh, so that's the historical president, precedent, or Bill Clinton should be the historical president, but you hardly ever, in fact, I don't think I've ever heard a reference to Bill Clinton's impeachment as all of these uh, pundits and CNN hosts and Democrats are screaming about wanting to impeach President Trump. They never related to uh, to President Clinton. They always go back another uh, 25 years before uh, Clinton's impeachment to Richard Nixon because he is clearly the most hated president of all time. But, but so, see, they control the narrative on, and as much as I don't like that word narrative, they can, the, the Democrats, the, the progressives control the narrative about um, about Clinton, about Bubba. It was all about sex. It was never about lying under oath. It was all about sex. Right. And, you know, and the Monica missiles, we can't forget those. Um, it, when, you know, <laughs> They so, covered that last night on part five. In fact, uh, I don't know if this series will ever come out on DVD. It probably will for people who haven't maybe followed it to this point. But please try to check the last two parts. Actually, next Sunday at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, part five will repeat. And that is well worth viewing. So one can still see parts five, six, and seven. Five and six next Sunday at 7 and 8 Eastern time. And part seven will air the Sunday after that at eight Eastern time. But, uh, it, you know, and it, that, that series in itself on Fox also shows that, uh, the Clinton scandals and any kind of really objective appraisal of the Clinton regime has never really made it to television. The only exception was when, uh, PBS, public broadcasting, did the Bill Clinton uh, president series. I think they devoted four hours to him. So, of course, there was some coverage of the uh, impeachment there, but it wasn't the focal point of that series, and it was PBS. So you can imagine uh, the spin that they put on it. Uh, so, this, you know, while not a perfect review of the period, I have to say that this uh, Fox documentary series, Scandalous, is a real plus. I, I would give it at least a B plus or A minus if I were reviewing it on that level, and and well worth viewing for just the historical reminder. And when you think of it, anyone today who is um, younger than uh, since this was 20 years ago, who's younger than 35 or maybe even 40, probably has no memory of the Clinton impeachment because. Most people don't start paying attention to politics until maybe they're 15 or, you know, mid-late teens. So there's there's probably half the population out there, almost half the population of the United States today, who have no memory of this. So, and, and then... You, you know, some- P- Peter, I just want to mention this. I've got a picture in my office. I, I went... I, David Shippers, who was the lead uh, counsel for the impeachment of, of uh, Clinton, I had a meeting in his office with... with uh, I met with Dave Shippers and, and, uh, the, that time of, that time in our history, just so incredible. The hubris of Clinton. And I, I, from what I saw from, uh, with Fox that you're covering, um, the, the, the hubris of the Clintons and, and the enormity of the scandal, uh, a scandal is plural. Uh, the mm-hmm. a life of crime. Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. Bonnie and Clyde, man. I mean, this. So I, I don't know. But but uh, in speaking with David Shippers, he just reminded me. Uh, you remind me of that conversation I had with him in his office when he basically he said, "You just will never, never know how uh, how big this is." You know how this do- the documentary brought out 
how Bill and Hillary Clinton escaped prosecution for the Whitewater scandal. That's where the investigation of the Clintons by Kenneth Starr, and there was actually a special prosecutor, as they were called then, before Starr took over. They had the goods on the Clintons for the Whitewater scandal, for the the corruption and the law-breaking there. But they thought that they could not uh, prosecute them successfully because two of the witnesses by then, there were six witnesses, Bill and Hillary Clinton, obviously they weren't going to testify against themselves. Two of the other witnesses were dead by then, uh, James McDougall and Vince Foster, and the other two were in jail at that point, Webb Hubble and Susan McDougall, so they would have made bad witnesses because they were prisoners. So Ken Starr and his other prosecutors had to come down on the side of not prosecuting them because they probably would have lost the case if it were uh, uh, taken to court in Washington, D.C. It would have been a tough sell there anyway in that town that's like 95% Democrat, and that would be the jury pool. But it's these kinds of facts that are brought out in this documentary series, this history, and I'm sure you can find it in books, but you know who has time to read books anymore? So this is a very accessible way to plug into that that history, and you know it also, uh, and, and it's it really it's very objective. I have to say this is Fox News at its fair and objective and balanced best. It's not a pro conservative takedown of the Clintons. There's plenty of Democrat talking heads in this documentary series. A little too many for my taste, but you know. It is they're, they're giving the other side a fair shot. It's not one-sided at all. And even so, the uh, Kenneth Starr and his prosecution team come across as the most sincere, professional, right down the middle uh, people. You know, they didn't have an axe to grind. They 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 didn't want to nail the Clintons just uh, you know for for the the purpose of doing that they didn't have they didn't really have it in for the clintons believe it or not of course that's the the meme that persists to this day like you said most people think because of the propaganda that uh, oh, it was just all about consensual sex and it was ridiculous to prosecute uh bill clinton just like most people think that kevin starr was some kind of religious fanatic or a right wing nut or out to get the clintons and it was completely the opposite you know whereas today if you look at the situation certainly valid questions could be raised about uh, Robert Mueller the current uh, special counsel and his team all of whom are partisan Democrats and you know the rest of the group at the FBI and the Obama Department of Justice who uh, many of whom are still very influential there so you know, again, we have to look back at fairly recent history in this case to learn something that's still very relevant today and trying to understand what is going on in today's world as we see it unfolding. You know, you're absolutely right, and I'm going to kick it over to Joe because I know he had he had a question or a couple. Well, Peter, things I don't know. Do ask. we know if the uh, that Fox show is on demand or not? I guess I can find out later. But uh... well, here's something I discovered. Uh, today because uh, the actually the cable signal went down last night here and my recording of it has a few glitches in it and I'm trying to permanent, make permanent records of the entire series and I did find part 5 was uploaded by uh, someone not Fox News to YouTube so if you cautiously okay. use search terms at Google the way I search for these I'll say YouTube title yeah. of show like scandalous uh, Fox and then date 
usually like number two slash uh, 18 or episode five, and it came right up with no commercials. The commercials had been okay. removed. So it's 40 minutes long. Now, this is unofficial, so it'll probably be taken down when Fox News complains. But as of earlier today, it was there. And I don't know about the other four parts, but, uh, you know, there's another very curious thing about this series, which uh, I haven't been able to nail this down yet. Uh, nowhere have credits for the series been published, or are they run with the program itself when it airs? The only credits that are run on the program as part of the program are the name of the narrator and at the very end the last screen I think says acknowledgments in a very small print it just has has thank yous to people who've provided photographs or whatever but they had nothing to do with the production so I put the question to my contacts at the Fox News PR department in New York and of course they've been promoting the show and they send me the press releases every week and I asked them uh, who's responsible for this program who is there a production company is it internal who produced it who directed it uh, who wrote it and uh, all they did was resend me the press releases <laughs> which have none of that information <laughs> hey, thank you so very much I, I don't know what is going on there. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of an anomaly. I mean, eventually, and even at the Internet Movie Database, which has, uh, credits of pretty much anything that's ever been on TV, past, present, and even future productions, has, uh, several references to this series, Scandalous, and a link to some articles in the press about it when it was first announced, I believe, on January 16th by Fox News. But it, it doesn't have the usual page that lists the credits. So that's, I'm going to try to track that down. But uh, I hope it comes out on commercial DVD or, or pay-per-view streaming or something because it, it, it really it, it stands alone by default because nothing else like it has ever been attempted. So, uh, you know, I, I hope that they'll – it is getting very good ratings, by the way. I, I, I wondered at the outset that – you know, are people going to be interested in this? But it's actually been the number one rated show on all of the three major cable news channels on every Sunday that it is it has aired. Now, uh, last Sunday, not yesterday, but two Sundays ago now, the big uh, CNN new documentary series, which is six parts on Patricia Hearst, aired the first two parts, and then the other, the next two aired last night. And the final two will air this coming Sunday. I haven't watched them yet. I have recorded them. But they put a lot of promotion into that. They started promoting that series about two or three months ago. So one was on the lookout for it. And uh, it came close in the so-called demo. It was one behind Scandalous two Sundays ago. I don't know how it did last night. And uh, Scandalous won two Sundays ago in the total viewers by uh, about 50% over the Patty Hearst part one documentary so scandalous has been a hit and i assume that's going to mean that it will be renewed for more episodes beyond the first seven on the clintons and i don't who knows where they're going to go next with it if they're being fair and balanced they might go to a republican scandal for all we know yeah but it's really yeah. really interesting because you know and it points out how we used to be able to in the uh, good old days of cable not so long ago there were channels like the history channel discovery TLC, which was the learning channel, and they don't call it that anymore. Even CNBC had documentaries. Uh, 
which were bona fide serious documentary programs. Remember, the History Channel, 15 or so years ago, their, their flagship nightly program was Biography, a fascinating hour every night on a, a figure of historical importance, politically, culturally, socially, whatever. That was kind of appointment viewing in the middle period of cable television in the uh, 1990s and into the early 2000s. Well, that's gone. I mean, look at what the history so-called channel does now, like reality programming. I mean, I, I haven't watched anything on the history channel in years now. It's really sad. So this is a reminder of what Fox, is, Fox News is doing, that there is still an audience for serious, sober, fair, and objective documentaries and uh, I hope it inspires other channels to do the same. I mean, CNN does some of this stuff, but theirs are usually pretty tacky, like their 10-part series each on different decades, which are produced by Tom Hanks and his company. And, of course, it, again, it's, it's totally with the left-wing spin. You know, they'll, they'll use Norman Lear ad nauseum as their key talking head, stuff like that. And I have a hard time watching those programs, but th this is really a cut above what Fox News is doing. So, Interesting. you know, bravo to Fox News for something totally different. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they've done anything like this before, and it's, uh, you know, they should be supported and endorsed for doing that, for trying it. Yeah, uh, we agree, and you could probably do an entire season on the Clinton scandals and crimes <laughs> and not even touch the, uh, not, not scratch the surface. Especially since this ends at, I guess, 1999 or 2000, that's really when the fun started to begin. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Um, and, and it's so relevant to today. I mean, the 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 Clinton machine, the the Clinton dynasty, I suppose, um, as well as the Bush dynasty. But but man, this is so relevant to what we're seeing today. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's incredible. Um, you know, it's part of. The, uh, my, I mentioned my friend Celia Farber earlier, the uh, pr premier investigative journalists of our time. I would put her on the very short list with uh, another. Excellent uh, female investigative journalist Cheryl Atkinson, who oh, I yeah. recently tweeted a link to. Um, they're both just extraordinary. But Celia today uh, posted at her Facebook, and by the way, uh, I, I highly recommend uh, people check out Celia Farber's Twitter and her Facebook because she uses both of them prolifically and posts. Uh, content-rich material there, as well as her website, truthbarrier.com. And I've tweeted links to these at my Twitter, uh, P. Chowka, P-C-H-O-W-K-A. And, and Celia is easy to find on Twitter and at her website, but she's just a, a remarkable uh, individual. And today, she posted at her uh, Facebook, or last evening, uh, her definition of PSYOP, which one of her Facebook uh, friends asked her to define. We use that term often, but what does it mean, some people ask. So she wrote a paragraph defining it, and I uh, did a screen grab of it and made a tweet out of it and tweeted it from my own Twitter. And uh, <clears throat> she re reminded us, uh, I think this is what she was saying as well, I certainly agree with her, that we've been in, I mean, life today is a psyop, a psychological operation, and it has been for decades. I would argue since the rise of the electronic media in a big way 
starting in the late 40s and early 1950s when television came about. Television was the vehicle, including in its early days, of the entrenchment of the psychological operation. That term, I think, was come up with, came, it was the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, that came up with the term PSYOP because they were behind it and are probably still they, the shadow government, the deep state, and their allies in the mainstream media, media are up to the same dirty tricks today. And so we see a PSYOP a minute basically coming at us. But really, life has been a PSYOP in one way or another with every uh, major uh, event in recent times. Well, well Peter, if I, if I can just interject this, at truthbarrier.com, where she's got the uh, excerpt there about a PSYOP, um, I just love this sentence. A PSYOP is a moral panic that has billions of dollars behind it. Although there's a comma, we could put a period there. Um, and you, of course... To send a tw- uh, tweet out on that. We're in the midst of a massive new psyop, as you just stated. So, mm-hmm. uh, man, I'll tell you, this is so pressing to what we're what we're dealing with today. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, well, what what we saw last week, you know, I have on my list. Maybe we can touch on it. Yeah. The, one, one of the psyops of last week, of course, is the Florida shooting. Oh. Now we can debate. By, by the way, I want to credit uh, Owen Scheuer of InfoWars, I heard most of uh, Alex Jones's show today, and Owen was filling in, sitting in for Alex, and, and he did a remarkable job. I mean, Owen is, uh, is, is, is a very uh, intense individual when he hosts, but I have to hand it to him for, for the analysis of the breaking news and the recent breaking news to put this all into a much broader perspective. Excellent job, and of course that podcast of InfoWars Today is out there. I recommend people track it down. Um, but yeah, the, the Florida shooting, you know, was it a false flag? It didn't have to be a false flag because there are elements which create kind of a false flag support system for any of these incidents like that, these terrible incidents that might sort of be happening organically. But you could also argue, I think, that uh, the, you know, we're told, uh, see something, say something, and in this case, it was do nothing, of course, on the part of the FBI or the other police authorities. I mean, in an example that is so egregious, it is absolutely mind-boggling. And I cannot imagine how the families of the people who were killed there must feel, knowing how the law was not followed. Uh, the, the the FBI was fa- completely failed, as they have done when you look at most of the previous terrorist incidents here, domestic terrorism or mass shootings. Uh, the police or the FBI failed in every one of them, which again is not to wholesale indict everyone in the FBI, obviously, but the rules there are coming from the top. And during the Obama regime, there was clearly a stand-down order given to the troops in the field, the law enforcement in the field, to stand down. That was clearly the, the case with a Major Hassan at the Fort uh, Hood shooting. Uh, I mean, there were there were flags. I mean, the false flags here are the the red flags that were all over the place, flying in advance of all of these of these terrible actions, which for some reason were ignored when the law was not followed to do the right kind of policing. So then what happens to turn this into a real PSYOP? Well, 
the bullets are, are still warm after having been shot out of an AR-15 when whoever's behind this, the shadow government, the deep state, and their, their voice uh, box, the news media, the mainstream media, goes to work. And they've put this, this, these, these students out there now, and I think they've really got something going now in this and their PSYOP. They've got these students from that school who are, uh, going on television, on talk shows, and they're calling for this, uh, this march they want to happen, uh, next month in, uh, what's, what's the name they're calling that again here? Uh, well, one of the key students is David Hogg a senior at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School that was the place that was shot up last week. He's the the key spokesman. He's all over the media. This guy looks like he stepped out of Central Castle. Yeah. I don't know if he's had media training or what. So, yeah, they're advocating what they're calling a march for our lives well, in Peter, D.C. Have you seen the video of this kid, I believe, who is a communications uh, specialist at the high school, Basically, as some say, he's basically reading lines or rehearsing where he's in front of the camera, and he messes up a number of times, and they're cueing him as to what to say and how to say it and how to correct it. I heard you mention that, I believe, in the first hour, and I haven't seen it. I'm going to look for it as it's soon as... It's on the as, Gateway Pundit. Yeah, the show, is, uh, the show is over tonight, but right, I mean, uh, you know, the people out there who are really trying to track down what is going on here, I think, we're, we, we again, we ain't seen nothing yet. But of course, the $64 question is, is what, uh, what we come up with, what the researchers, the real investigative journalists and citizen journalists come up with, will this break through to the mainstream because of the Pravda nature of the mainstream media today, which is, uh, prepared to lie 24-7. And when they're not lying about some news development, they're just not covering it. So they have these two tools at their disposal. They misrepresent and lie, or they simply ignore the truth. They don't report the real story. That's what they were doing uh, in recent weeks before it, the big news last week of the Mueller indictments on Friday and the uh, sh- school shooting, which was uh, Wednesday, I believe, Wednesday. You, you know, if, if, if the media was in a court of law, this would be, in my view, an abuse of process. But I'm I digress, but there it is. Well, Friday, the, you know, the Mueller indictments, isn't it interesting, as Jeanine Pirro said on her program on Fox on Saturday, and she's not the only one who's realized this, isn't it interesting that the FBI had their super high-profile press conference on Friday morning to, endow- to announce the indictments of 13 Russians for trying to uh, mess with the 2016 election, uh, which was obviously... A- at least partially, if not largely, if not exclusively, an attempt to tap down the stories that were beginning to come out of how the FBI and other law enforcement had really screwed up in allowing the alleged perpetrator of the Florida shooting to uh, to fall through the cracks despite so many red flags being raised in the months in advance of the shooting. So there's there's something there that's uh, grist for the mill, and maybe we'll get to the bottom of it at some point. But uh, uh, I think it was Pat Buchanan who was making a great point today on Hannity's show in which he said, are you serious? Thirteen Russians working part-time 
with, I think, what it's alleged they, they had a million dollars at their disposal or something to do some uh, finessing of social media. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton spent at least $2 billion with a B on the campaign. I mean, this is a, an infinitesimal drop in the ocean that is alleged to have happened. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous on the face of it. And some of it has made the case if, uh, you know, these 13 Russians are guilty of what Mueller is saying, then Christopher Steele, Fusion GPS, Perkins Coy, and the DNC also have to be guilty because Steele <clears throat> was paid not only by the FBI, but also the Clinton uh, campaign. He's a foreign agent who was in, intent on uh, influencing the 2016 presidential election with the dossier that he penned. So why wouldn't those laws also apply to him? And the Daily Caller has an interesting piece. Michael Moore participated in Russia-sponsored anti-Trump rally. This was the Trump is not my president rally. And this was one of the apparent operations that were conducted as to influence the election, which is interesting because this happened on November 12th, a few days after the elections, and this action mm -hmm. was taken against Donald Trump. Right, as they were really revving up this whole never Trump campaign, even a resist campaign, after he was elected. I mean, the conspirators, the real conspirators and co-conspirators in this scandal are being outed one by one. I mean, we see who they are, we, but we follow this stuff very closely, and there's probably a few million of our colleagues out there who are also following and reporting, tweeting, and Facebooking this as well. And, uh, and doing podcasts, talk shows, some of the top radio talk show hosts are doing that. Sean Hannity is doing it on Fox News, but it's a thin gruel otherwise. And, uh, it's like your previous guest said, I think, or a gateway pundit person, uh, it's probably higher than the 95% anti-Trump ratio in the mainstream media now. It's like off the charts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's approaching 100%. I mean, when I turn on CNN, I never hear anything approaching, not even pro-Trump, but anything approaching a fair and balanced, neutral, objective appraisal of the news that they're reporting on. It's all so skewed to the left that it's impossible to look at without making yourself physically ill. No, I know, and we, so, don't, we don't have a lot of time. We only have a few minutes left, about two minutes left. But what do you think about the attacks that are being waged against Laura Ingram? She is the author of a, a book, called Shut Up and, and Sing, she uses that shut up and line dribble. in a number of, of things that she says, whether, you know, it's shut up and preach or shut up and dribble, which was the example she used against LeBron James and Kevin Durant, two NBA players who are very openly anti-Trump. And they, the, they, the mainstream media, has painted her as racist, even trying to get right. sponsors to <laughs> drop her show. Right. And uh, one of the things she's being criticized for, Joe, is that she uh, demeaned LeBron James because he reportedly dropped out of high school to play basketball. Yeah. So now, I don't know how much criticism Sean Hannity has gotten by his opponents. It's all over the Internet that he's a college dropout, that he never got a college degree. Well, at least he finished high school and he did several years of college. But, you know, you can't win. Laura is being called a racist when, uh, I mean, LeBron James can't take it. This guy who's one of the leading athletes in the world, you know, uh, can't take a little criticism without having to use the R word. I mean, this is ridiculous. But, you know, another case is coming up. Chris Rock, the so-called comedian, is doing a, a streaming high-profile show on Netflix, a supposed stand-up comedy mm -hmm. show. 
And this is uh, being analyzed. I haven't seen it. It's being analyzed as being racist in the other direction, where he is apparently uh, suggesting comedically, he claims, or some people, his supporters claim, he's suggesting that more white kids be killed so that they could even up the score with all of the innocent blacks who he alleges are being killed yeah, by racist police. Now, I read uh, an article about this at, uh, I believe it was the Independent Journalism Review, which had a very fair article about it, and about 99% of the viewer comments were calling Chris Rock out for what he is doing, and they're not fooled by this nonsense. They don't find it funny. They find it sickening, divisive, and contributing to the deadly polarization that is now afflicting our country. So I hope we can make America great again. We have to keep our eyes on that prize and on November Absolutely. with the election coming up. Peter Barry Chauka at Pete Chauka on Twitter. His home, uh, HagmanReport.com. Look at his columns right there. It's rather right there. Look, honest. Peter, we're out of time. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Mondays, See you next week. Every Monday. All right, brother. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Catch me tomorrow, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Doug Hagman Radio Show. Honest. Today I head off. Good night, everyone.